Greetings, Commanders, and welcome to episode 46 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm your Chief of Operations, John Stabler, and joining me in the cramped orange sidewind of this episode are Entertainment's Officer, Chris Jarvis. Good evening. Our Chief Bar Steward, Grant Walcott. Hello. And also, oh crap, I've forgotten your job title, mate. It's health and safety, buddy. Oh, that was it. Health and safety, of course. <laughs> health and safety officer extraordinaire, Ben Mosswoodwood. Hey, who'd have thought I was here? You are definitely here. So, who uh, were. Very existential well, question already. Yes, exactly. This is going to be a more highbrow show, I hope. Not saying that, uh, you know, Foz is lowbrow or anything, but um, we'll certainly do our best. So. Is he, is he not sort of more monobro? Uh, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, mate, but, you know, thanks for that. So, oh, great. Someone's crashing into me at Leave Station. Thank you very much, whoever that is. I'm, I'm um, curious about who you're expecting to get this highbrow from. I don't know. Are you going to monologue? Well, no, I, I, I just <laughs> thought that if I suggested that we were, then people might step up. Uh, right. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Um, we might not be able to fulfill that promise. Okay, so I'm going to start off with uh, the usual thing is Fozza asks us, what have we been doing in and out of the game? I'm kind of more interested in what you, you've been doing in the game, unless you've got something really exciting out of the game. So we'll start with you, Ben. What have you been up to? Oh, in-game, I've been pretty much grinding away at the money. Um, I will freely admit, though, that I've been hiding in solo play because Beta Scorporus, or whatever the heck it's called, has been grief central of late, and I sort of pop my head above the dashboard and I get anacondas shooting at me and things. It sounds like a challenge. I think that maybe the Lee Radio yes. crew could go and sort that out or something. If I were in my Viper, it's a challenge I would very happily accept, not on a Type 7. Okay, fine. Well, I'm in my maxed-up Viper. Maybe I can come and help you after. So that's it. You've just been grinding the cash. I have been, yeah. Fair enough. But I'm now up to what I would call a healthy balance. Hopefully within the next couple of days, I might be able to get myself a Type 9. Oh, okay. That is a very healthy balance. Okay, Grant, what have you been up to? It's been a, a fairly busy week, actually. We've been doing some blog work on my wife's artwork blog and getting it ready for a sort of relaunch. But in a, a bit of web work this week and getting apps and CSS stuff, all the kind of really boring, frustrating, why is that bit not changed? Now why is it changed to something I didn't tell it to? That kind of stuff where you go round and round in circles and then hold your head weeping softly, rocking in a corner. I can um, sympathise with that, Grant. Today I spent <laughs> about an hour and a half trying to move some words 16 pixels to the right. Yes. Well, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we're hopefully going to have that uh, ready soon to sort of relaunch. We used to have a, a blog that we did um, nightly and things and trying to get it up and back to that way now that why Susie seems to be feeling up to the challenge of doing it now, which is great. So I'll let you know once it's all up and running. You can have a look. It's certainly shaping up nicely at the moment. And um, I've been with the Drabbles as well from last week. Do we do this sort of live abracadrabble show on a Friday night? And I've been getting things organised for that and getting encouraging more people to join us in the Drabbles. And it's going really well. In fact, we have our 20 entries already this week, which is unheard of, really. Uh-huh. Impressive. And in-game, I'm in my ASP, and I'm trying to work my way up to a Python, um, and this week's been very, very slow for me getting any in-game time, so I'm a little bit behind schedule. What are you doing to try to earn your pennies, Grant? Selling my wares. Ah, okay. And my body, and slaves, (laughs) and 
Uh, I get to, when I get a bit tired of going round in circles, I tend to then jump into. Well, I don't have another ship now. I sold it to get this one, so I tend to go and do some combat and some bounty hunting to see yeah. if I can kind of liven up my experience a bit and take on some missions, work on some rep, and then get back into the grind because it really is the only way to get any cash. No, I'll agree. I'm bored, silly, doing the grind that I've been doing, but I made my way through every episode of Term, every film of the Terminator. Sorry, on Sunday. Just okay. flying back and forth and forth and back. Holy cack! <laughs> I've just arrived in leave. I've found out I'm wanted. Oh no, I shouldn't say that live. I'm not wanted. I am <laughs> I am an extremely, extremely dangerous person. Quite get to the station before some sod interdicts me. Come on, hurry up, I'm so close. Right, I'm just uh, gonna John, alt- I might go quiet for a second yeah. to hide my tears. And I'm just gonna alt tab back to the game while Chris Jarvis tells us what he's been up to. <laughs> Chris Jarvis is just logging into the game for the first time since the last podcast I was on, um, and uh, obviously finding that finding that nothing works. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, essentially uh, I've been working hard on the uh, Elite Reclamation audiobook. Um, so the audiobook of Drew's novel should be out. Oh, I confess I'm not actually sure exactly which day it is. I think it's Saturday. I'm not sure. It's, it's this weekend, anyway, is when... Uh, it'll be available from uh, Fantastic Books, um, and yeah, I'm really pleased with with the way this audiobook sounds. Um, it's you know it's pretty epic. It's got some of the biggest battles of any of the uh, of any of the published fiction. I think really well of the, of the ones that I know. I don't actually know all of them. Um, so yeah, I'm also slightly disturbed that I've logged into the game and for some reason my controls are frozen and I'm flying towards Lave Station at 138 clicks and I can do nothing to stop myself. Steering is not working. Oh no. You may, you may uh, find that the update might have uh, ruined your bindings, mate. Munged my controls. Well, they were working. Okay, I've managed to go to zero throttle. Let me see if I can... Uh, let me see if I can just thrust away from the side of the station before something else hits me. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's that's been pretty much me, actually. Um, still, yeah, still working hard on the audiobooks and uh, trying to sort out plans to do our sort of Galnet audio uh, thing that we're doing. Um, so, yeah, that should be coming soon, hopefully. Okay, good stuff. Well, what have I been doing? I've been mostly um, kind of like Ben, grinding a lot. I actually made my way from a Type 6 to an ASP, plus a bit of spare change. Um, and then I did yeah, I did a bit more grinding, because initially I thought I want to get into a Type 7, and then I want to go and get the Clipper. But I think uh, boredom got the, best to, got the best of me, and I suddenly realized I had like 10 million credits. So I've actually downgraded back to a Viper. It's fully maxed out, so um, I'm looking for combat. Uh, opportunities this evening at some point hopefully um, and that's pretty much all I've done oh the, the only thing that I've done it's kind of slightly related to Elite is I've been um, just uh, working on uh, a talk I'm giving to Bristol Skeptics tomorrow which is on violence in video games um, and it's the same talk that I think I'm going to be doing at LaveCon so if you're in Bristol you can come to that tomorrow or if you come into LaveCon that's something you might want to come and see uh, apart from that, that's it for me. So it's been a, a quiet week. I think the standard thing now is to go to an advert. Are you struggling with paying fines? Do you lose sleep in hyperspace worrying about docking at the next space station? 
If the answer is yes, then you need to call Carolyn McGrath Fine Management Services. I got scanned while in Federation space and was caught carrying slaves. It was an unexpected expense that I couldn't afford on top of my fines for damage caused whilst docking. We can help you consolidate all your existing fines into a single large fine, payable in regular instalments at what is almost a competitive interest rate. I called Cowell and McGrath Fine Management Services and they helped me pay my existing fines before I got a bounty on my head. They really saved my life. At Cowell and McGrath, we've helped thousands of pilots whose fines had spiralled out of control. I dared not go near a police star system. I got so desperate that I'd almost resigned myself to a life of piracy. Luckily, I found Cowell and McGrath's services before I actually murdered anyone in cold blood. No fines too big, no criminal record too damning. We're here to help you, no questions asked. Find us in the Lave Business Directory. I'd got into debt as a result of a massive counter-lawsuit by Watt and Pritney. It happened because I'd taken advice on Python protection insurance from... Wait a minute! It was you! Cowell and McGrath. Minimum liability, zero accountability. Warning. Balances may go up as well as down. Missed payments may lead to repossession of your ship, seizure of cargo, or the issuing of a death warrant. Okay, we're back. This week we're going to talk about newsletter number 59. Uh, I take it we've all seen this. Um, the most, well, the thing that jumped out at me um, was something that I always thought was missing from the launch. That was something that was discussed on last week's podcast, what was missing. Um, and that was the beautiful, pretty lights on the far side of planets. Uh, and they give like a, a kind of an example. Um, I don't know whether it's a mock-up or whether they've actually done it on a, on a building in-house. But you do have what appear to be kind of like city lights on the far side of a planet. Um, how does this compare for you guys to, you know, the concept art that we saw? I mean, granted the concept art, the lighting was very dense and it was very obvious, the patterns. But how did you feel about, you know, what they've presented as? It I looks to me like this is more of an alliance world rather than a federation world. Uh, I remember there were different patterns for the different factions. And this view that we've got of Mars looks pretty freeform rather than the regimented approach that I thought we were going to get. It could okay. just be a scruffy world, you know? Just a scruffy government. Well, I would agree that the Federation's a scruffy government, but that's not what they were going for. Well, yeah, they were going to show us the city layout so that we could tell from the, the sort of particular way that they laid out whether they were the big sort of circular interlinking um, cityscapes that would then tell you that you're looking at an imperial and the kind of, have I got that right? And then the kind of square kind of layout cities for the Federation, wasn't it? Yeah, so the imps were, as you say, a whole lot of circular, almost like concentric circles and very grid pattern for the feds. And then they had the, the sort of giant phallus symbols for the anarchy systems. <laughs> I don't remember seeing that one. I think you might have dreamt that one, haven't you? <laughs> that might have been in my mind, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think... The independence you know, more freeform, shall we say. It's, it's something it's hard to sort of comment on until we see it in-game, because that's really going to be the point that's going to catch your eye. But then again, you know, it might be, it might could be that the the... the, the, the it could be that the one that they're showing us is just that it's maybe partially night, so we're only getting the edge of that wonderful city layout. 
I mean, it looks like it's a whole lot of hexagons rather than squares, so it could just be that the the Federation have gone from squares to hexagons, I guess. Hmm. Possibly. Um, but I don't know, maybe um, now that the game's more fleshed out, I mean, when we saw those original concept uh, pieces, it was a long time ago, and maybe now that we've we now see the game and it's got this kind of photorealistic quality to it. Perhaps they might have kind of gone a bit more towards something that looks better with the current game engine um, than, you know, what, what was in the concept art. You so. can't seriously be suggesting that they might have, you know, changed their plans to fit the game better, did you? Oh, no. What have I started? Is it going to be threads on the forum asking for a refund because they didn't get the right cities <laughs> um, yeah. I demand square cities uh, so um, yeah Chris have you got anything to say about it um, I was just trying to remember if I'd read I definitely have read the newsletter I, that wasn't something I remembered from it I think maybe something else caught my eye which would possibly come to but uh, uh, because I haven't been in game I haven't had the chance to kind of go and look at is this, are these city lights already in there, or is this a coming feature? It's coming in the new update, sort of 1.1, isn't it? Ah, uh, okay. So, yeah. And they've also um, talked about community goals. Now, this is something that perhaps I don't have a grasp on, really, about what exactly it is that they're, you know, how it's going to differ from, you know, the current way things work with, you know, players being able to kind of gang up together to influence the politics within systems. So can any of you shed some light on what what the difference is going to be and what they're promising? It seems to me that it's a way of uh, giving the game a framework so that where, I guess, maybe where... F what I understood from it was that where Frontier become aware that a group of players are kind of wanting a community thing, that they can almost set the game to kind of support it so you know sp to allow specific missions to be injected which actually support what those players are trying to do because at the moment obviously people are gaming the, the, the system that's there in order to affect change but reading it it struck me that this was actually going to be the game providing missions that supported or either supported or prevented things that players were trying to do so to actually try and give a bit of framework into the game. Um, it strikes me, I mean, the, the, the main thing that, that, that strikes me about it is I don't know how Frontier are planning to sort of, I don't know how sustainable that is, um, or how much player action needs to kind of go ahead before Frontier become aware of it and kind of inject these events, but uh, it's certainly an interesting idea. So you mean that there is, is ways of them interacting with the likes of these uh, potentially illegal races that are going on and to create missions um, around that as, I don't know, take out particular competitors and create these competitor NPCs just for these missions, just to give it a wee flavour? Yeah, absolutely. Or I mean, even if, you know, if um, Frontier spot that a group of players are working together to change the allegiance of a system... Then, then it's down to Frontier to decide whether or not that faction is going to kind of put in a, you know, some sort of blockade or a, um, you know, turn up with more of a military presence. I mean, those are the sorts of tweaks that Frontier can make on the server side of the plot um, to kind of support things. Um, whether, I mean, well, the thing that occurs to me is Frontier might find, I mean, this is if I am reading it right about how they're planning to interact, 
but they may find down the line that they're able to kind of detect a pattern of how player action forms and they might actually be able to make some of this the, these kind of community-based missions procedural so that they don't have to actually do it manually but you know we'll, we'll see what happens I mean, the way I see it at the moment is that there's this background simulation which, you know, people have affected. You know, we've already seen, you know, uh, factions within systems, you know, losing power, gaining power and things like that. But it's quite, um, it's almost like a black box. And I think maybe a lot of players don't feel like they're getting a lot of feedback back, you know, so they know that they are having an effect on it. Or even that one of the complaints is that there's only a couple of players is there a realistic chance that they can actually influence anything there's no way to to kind of to gauge if anything's happening or anything's happening fast enough so i guess these events can kind of be like a like a, an announced event um and then there's a window of time which lasts you know say two days say um and then instead of players just having to affect raw numbers there can be a more obvious way for players to interact with you know and actually get an outcome i mean that that's that's what i kind of see happening really yeah i think that's what's needed because one you know we, we've been talking about the uh, fact that and apologies i can't remember if we've been talking about it actually on a podcast or if we've just been talking about it but one of the things that you know constantly come up i mean not getting into the whole thing about people complaining about elite not having an offline mode but one of the things that's come up in, in some of the reviews um, is that people don't get why Elite needs to be online. Um, and I think that's maybe where Frontier are thinking they need to do some more stuff. Like you say, because it is a black box and a lot of this background simulation stuff is so background that people can't really understand. You know, people's understanding of multiplayer is I'm doing things there and then with other players kind of in my instance but actually there's more going on in the game universe that is driven by what each other are doing but it's all invisible and I, i'm kind of a great believer in games that you know games that are designed around uh action and reaction you know you you do something and you get a an effect off that thing that you've done and if it's if it's hidden if it's invisible then the assumption is i'm doing stuff and nothing's happening um or nothing is happening to me and I could just as easily be playing on my own. And I think that, you know, that's something that Frontier do need to work on, is making it clear that, that this is a, a universe that people are affecting each other. Yeah. I mean, one of the things you see when you complete a mission, for instance, which you know, or you hope, is affecting the background simulation and helping that particular faction, is as soon as you complete it, you get that instant feedback saying your reputation's gone up by this. You've, you know, increased the... I don't know the uh, you know the unrest in the system or something like that. But in yeah, the long term, very recently. Yeah, but in the long term, you know, because the changes are happening um, over such a long period of time, you don't see, you know, you don't even see a bar. I think we've got to ask the question of what exactly are we getting with one point one and these missions, because they're stating that basically. We're going to be seeing community goals uh, urging players to bring in many thousands of tons of food to a starving system or uniting up against hordes of invaders and killing thousands potentially of bounty hunters or thousands of pirates in the system. And hopefully we'll see some kind of group progression 
towards that community goal and will maybe get some kind of personal, okay, you have killed 10 people and here is 10,000 credits bounty, thank you very much. And we've also increased the goal to this state and once we've gotten 100,000 of these, then the pirate threat is gone and everybody gets a cookie, maybe. But of I mean, course, yeah. this is also the first step of the group missions that Frontier are rolling out. This is only stage one, remember? Yeah, and this kind of reminds me a bit of like Star Wars, um, when um, you know that the, there could be like a massive battle, um, and they always talk about it afterwards, saying, "Oh, I was in that battle. You know, someone must have told them about my, you know." what I did there and I got a medal for it or I became a general or something. It would be no. great if you, you know, there was these long, big events and then you could take part and if you were on the winning side you could get something in game that kind of signaled to everybody else that you took part in that and you were successful. This is something I've been talking about in the Skype chat that we've got with some of the guys and I'd love the idea of getting almost like a fruit salad, not a fruit salad, a, a salad bar of campaign medals or something like that, which we could display on our ships as a as an in-game, thank you very much, you did this kind of reward. Even if it's not a monetary reward, just a, you know, a, a token of recognition. Oh, I'd like a fruit salad of medals. Yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it sounds amazing. It would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> But yeah, just, in fact, if, if anything, to me, having, um, you know, a, a list of accolades which other players can see and see that I'm, you know, I've done a lot of battle and I've done well and I've come out on top a lot of the time. For me, that has more value than cash in the game at the moment, especially no, with the way that trading agree. is so dominant with as far as cash. I completely agree. And think, thinking about in Star Wars The Old Republic, one of the things that a lot of people in that game really liked was displaying some of the rarer titles that they had. So, yeah, sure, we're, at the moment we might all be commanders, but maybe it could be Commander Adel of Ice, survivor of the Battle of Lave Station or something. Yeah, I mean, one of the current... Sorry, Grant, you can come in. <laughs> um, <laughs> just just straight off the back of that, it's like, for instance, you know currently if you, if you go into a, a combat zone and there's like a... Um, like a capital ship there. I mean, I don't know, maybe this does happen, I just haven't been around. But you don't really win the battle, if you know what I mean. So there's no kind of short-term goal. So, you know, everyone's just going into the battle, they're getting kills, they're taking the missions which ultimately affect the factions. But you never see, like, the destruction of that capital ship. And it would just be good that, you know, if, if you did see through that short event, and you were, you know, you got, you came out on top, that you were rewarded in a more immediate way. Grant? See, I, w I was more concerned about is if it's going to be more of the same kind of delivery. Go to a station, pick up a mission, and I know it will work well for the likes of war zones where you can pick up missions that will send you to the war zones and give you better rewards than you would normally get, and that would be interesting. But I think there's a an awful lot of room for some really unique deliveries. When you're flying in supercruise, it's all these unidentified signal sources. Well, what about distress signals? What about radio contact from unknown places giving you these kind of community-led missions? You know, that that's something that could really expand the feeling of the universe and create more life in there, rather than 
nothing exists except these unknown signal places and stations. And I think, you know, I'd be concerned that if we get these new missions and they're all just added in, it's kind of going to be still going to be a little bit flat and a little bit not quite as alive as we'd love it to be. Yeah, I mean, I think Alan last week said that, you know, a lot of the missions are, you know, you need to go find to go and find a certain unidentified signal source. And by all means, you might want to keep some missions like that, you know, get people scouting around and obviously, you know, reflect their reward. Um, you know, the, the value of their reward will be reflected in, you know, what they'll get back if they once they have searched an entire system. But, you know, why aren't there missions saying you need to go to these specific coordinates? Because at least players know that there's a goal. You know, and just make sure that there is an unidentified signal source at those coordinates. Go in and do it. And so players will, f you know, that they feel a little bit more directed. Um, and I think that, that that would help no end. But what about distress calls? It's missing, isn't it? You're not flying around and you get a little uh, signal that's not an unidentified signal source. It's a distress call. And your decision is then, you know, if it came through over your comms as well, Although the comm system's a little bit blurry, um, you don't tend to notice things coming in over it, so that would probably need to be addressed in some way that you would get an audible alarm for a, an incoming distress call. Then you could suddenly get these, you know, large carrier ship in trouble, puts out a distress call, you pick it up, other people in the sector pick it up, and you all head over there as a collective group to, you know, either help or destroy that particular ship, whichever takes your fancy. Yeah, I mean, we kind of sold that concept in the Damocles video, the idea that you're just flying along and then all of a sudden somebody says, can you come and help me? And I guess that um, in maybe not as a single player, but that type of scenario, I mean, if they add the multiplayer features so you're playing with your friends and you're in the same system as them, then you could, in theory, all go and help out if that one, if that distress call is visible to you all. You can uh, say to your mates, hey... This is a distress call over there. Let's go there. Exactly, but also as a pilot, to be able to to send out your own distress distress call when you've really screwed up badly, you know, you're sitting there in your ship with no fuel, to be able to send out a distress call that creates that, um, well, the equivalent of a USS, but it'll be more identified as a distress call with maybe your call sign, so that you know you're taking a risk there because your enemies are going to see it and come, and then maybe you have to sort of. Uh, uh, yeah, I remember this guy. That's the sod that took me out when I was trying to trade some rares last week. Yeah, let's let's go and give him, let's give him a special hand. But it just creates, it creates stories. It creates experiences, and, and you know that's what we love about Elite. When you do something stupid like you know you're trying to dock your newest ship for the first time, and you are absolutely crapping yourself as you're getting close to that docking slot that's an experience and when you land it on the pad with no damage you have that uplifting moment of yeah and then you've got the opposite of course which is when you become complacent and you go into a station a little bit too fast and you land it with barely any of it left these are all the kind of experiences that elite gives us just now and i think the likes of distress calls from players and from npcs and from in-game events would really add a, a nice dimension and flavour to the universe that will give us all wonderful stories to go running to your wife and, you know, interrupting Coronation Street and watching her disinterested face as you tell her this tale of bravery where you got in there and you saved them all and it's wonderful and then you sold those slaves that you picked up for a profit. 
just wondering, Grant, how large a area do you think a uh, beacon should be if you sort of send out a distress, distress call? Should it just be system-wide, or do you think it should maybe go out to, say, a 10-light-year distance or something like that? I think it should only be in the sort of local system, because let's face it, if you're out exploring... Um, <laughs> I suppose they could possibly. That's create, why I'm wondering. Yeah, they could possibly create like they've got for the current minute your discovery scanners, and they could maybe create different grades of uh, distress beacons that could be picked up with different discovery scanners. So if you've got oh, I like the the advanced discovery scanner, you can pick up, you know, like sort of weaker signals from further away, whereas. Other places, you know, like when you your first scanner, you jump into a system and you can see the star. And when you run your discovery, you find a planet. And then if you've got the next one up, you see a star. And when you run the discovery thing, you've got 16,000 planets, 14 million asteroid belts that you didn't know were there. And that first guy's going, oh, well, it's just one planet. I'll not bother sticking about. And you're going, hey, mine the arse off this place. And if we can apply the same sort of uh, limitations that they do to those systems to a distress beacon so you can get a wee cheap one that practically goes one ship's length away, you know <laughs> <laughs> up to the more expensive ones that maybe could register um, a lot further afield Okay uh, Moving on then um, uh, I mean, there was uh, Michael Brooks made a statement on the forum today he'd, he'd done a, an interview um, I can't remember who it was with now um, I think it was PC Gamer where they, they were asking some questions. One of the interesting things that came out of that um, was about uh, you know PvP, and this was posted on the thread and hailed by a lot of PvPers as, see, we told you Frontier liked PvP. Um, and that was uh, basically said that um, while uh, the, the Frontier have no intention of preventing murder within the game, because that's what a lot of people are complaining about. Um, because and he says that it's a valid gameplay choice, which I'm inclined to agree with. Uh, just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not you know fun for somebody else. I guess is it, but it all depends how the game copes with it. Um, but he made it clear that, that there should be consequences for such actions, and the game needs to be tightened up. Um, and so, included in 1.1, we're not just going to get the pretty lights and some multiplayer features in these community ends. Um, they're going to be doing some rebalancing of some of the weapons in particular. Uh, this includes dumbfire missiles. Uh, apparently, they're overpowered. I, I don't know. I don't use them. So he he phrases it as these need to be balanced down. Uh, I don't uh, use them, but I saw a video of somebody in a Viper, I think it was, basically one-shotting a python. Okay, so... That's pretty overpowered, then I guess. So yeah. He says I mean, he, he was basically ch he was churning out his dumbfire missiles, and the python allowed him to get far too close. But still, okay. okay. Uh, they're going to fix point defense turrets because apparently they've triggered station response. I guess if somebody drops a, a mine in front of you, your um, point defense turret shoots it, and then the station shoots you. I guess that happens. I didn't realize that's a good way to troll people. That's one of the things that people have been doing in the system that I've been in, okay. which wasn't a lot of fun, because I do have point defense turrets. Okay, interesting. Um, shield cells are too powerful. Now I've heard a lot of people say this. Um, I don't have any installed at the moment, but I was thinking of getting some, because they do seem to be very useful. But maybe too useful, so it looks like they're going to get nerfed as well. 
Um, and, okay, now this is interesting. Docking will be revoked if you're marked as hostile by the station. So no! No! <laughs> 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 no! I had a terrible time in the Beldacri when I was hostile. I couldn't get in. If I didn't have the station letting me in, I'd have been dead. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a lot. I mean, this is Fozza said last week that he, he was hostile, I think, um, because he'd accidentally been working for the Dark Wheel. Um, and so he couldn't get into the station because uh, obviously they'd, they'd attack him outside. But if the station's attacking you as well, I guess. Uh, uh, or you can't dock, you're definitely going to be screwed, aren't you? But I take it this I is to stop people from, I don't know, maybe shooting you and then running inside the station. I don't know, can you do that? I've not that I know of, no, but I think it's more probably along the lines, it doesn't make sense that if you're hostile in a system that you can go in and go about your normal duties. I think if it was the likes of a, a bounty where they scan you and work out that you're hostile and then revoke your access, that still gives you an element of play of getting your arse in there as quickly as you possibly can. Mm. And I think that would be that would be interesting and I think that would add to the gameplay because you're like going, oh god, I'm hostile here, I hope they'll let me in. I better get ready to run like hell. I think the danger for Frontier, though, with a lot of this stuff, and you see this with a lot of games... Um, and, and I appreciate that the Frontier obviously do need to respond to the experiences that people are having. But what concerns me is that we've had a long time of, of kind of design discussion throughout the development of, of Elite Dangerous. And Frontier have very carefully thought about what the kind of experience they wanted people to have would be. And one of those things was around space stations being a safe haven that you can always get into if you kind of limp back and you're in trouble. And my concern is that they're, they're going to start reactively changing the balance of the game and changing the design of the game based on what you know a few people have been complaining about. And that actually they're going to end up tweaking the game into something that's just not the experience they wanted to create in the first place. Because um, I think one of the things that concerns me is that some of this, I appreciate you know, the talk about balancing weapons and shields, and, and I guess some of that needs to happen. But I think for me, the thing that really unbalances the game at the moment is, is the lack of features that are, that are designed to be in it. I mean, there was a discussion I was having with someone the other day um, about being a trader. And I personally can't understand at this point in time why anyone would choose to be a trader in open play because you've got a situation where if someone's in a combat ship coming up against someone who's in a trader ship there's no contest there and the trader basically just has to drop their cargo and there's kind of no comeback on the pirate for that and actually when we talked about the game in design terms you know we talked about traders being able to hire npc bodyguards we talked about users being able to put up a bounty against another player to kind of balance because at the moment you can basically just you can just rob people and as long as you don't murder them you can kind of get their stuff with impunity and i think that's what concerns me at the moment more than um say the balance of weapons shields engines all that sort of stuff but actually the lack of features which was designed to balance the different roles that people were taking on because a pirate should be able to kill a trader ship you shouldn't you know, you shouldn't balance the weapons so that a trader ship has a chance uh, against a combat fighter. That's ridiculous. What you should do is give traders options that level the playing field against those pirates. 
Okay. Yeah. No point taken. Uh, any more on this? Anybody? Any more insights into the well, PvP, you know, side of things? A lot of people have taken this as a good sign that Frontier, you know, are saying that no, we want to keep murder, which I think is a good thing because I don't understand the elite universe without you know psychopaths. I just think it's a bit strange when people say things like this means they say this, and it goes well, not really, not as much as me. Buying a pint of milk means that I like to assault cows. Um, it just means they're, <laughs> they're just doing these adaptations and trying to make the game <clears throat> more interesting and trying to deal the sort of aspects of the game that people are either identifying as being a little bit don't quite make sense. But yeah, there's a fine line between creating in-game fun and forcing people to play in uh, offline mode. Or oh, sorry, offline mode. I didn't say that. Oh well, yes, you well, did. We'll edit that one out later. Um, <laughs> forcing people just to go into solo uh, for whenever they're doing anything. And I, I don't think that's too problematic for people to jump into solo to do what they know. Oh, well, this is a risky particular trade route I'm doing. I'll just drop into solo. Um, then then going into the, the all group when they're actually you know ready and, and, and consenting to have their arse handed to them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Chris is right. There, there isn't a lot of, um, you know, reasons to actually play open if you're a trader, unless you're like seriously role playing it and you're actually looking forward to it being interdicted and actually you don't mind giving up a few canisters of, of goods. They're really you've got a couple of a couple of friends hiding round the corner in their vipers. Yeah, uh, again, but it's it's so unlikely you are going to have friends because the multiplayer is so limited. So uh, at the moment, so okay. Um, news. Has there been any more news? Um, there was a very, very nice map in the newsletter. Ah, yes, the mapping of the galaxy. Yes. Um, was this something that interested you? It's something that has been suggested. This could be the first sneak peek that we get of the star map that we'll be made, we'll be getting in our oh the limited edition box sets sure yeah um and it's a, it's a very interesting 2d representation of the 3d universe and if this is what we get in the star in our box sets it's going to be very very pretty yeah that's one thing I'm, i don't know why i mean i'm not really fussed about having a hard copy of the game because everything's digi you know, digitally downloaded now. <laughs> but that's one th reason why originally I was tempted to upgrade to you know that pledge level in the beginning was the star map. I remember having it in Frontier, um, and it was you know it was a thing of beauty, and it looked nice and nerdy, stuck yeah. on your wall with blue tack. So um, I'm <laughs> quite excited by that. I do have my blue tack at the ready. But okay, so here's the question: Will you be opening your? limited edition box set when you get it or will you keep it in mint mint condition no no i think you you you're meant to be asking that question will you be getting one first well, i'm assuming that we're all getting one eventually how eventually. long it'll no, take soon soon okay um soon yeah <laughs> yes. yeah i've got fortunately i'm in a position where uh, i've got my son backed at that level too so I am going to have a spare one so I can open one and make you guys <laughs> that don't want to open yours all jealous as I can use them. And bring my big map out and wipe my arse with it. 
Oh, the main reason I want to open mine is because I want, I want, I really want to read uh, Michael Brooks's book. You know, I can't. We're not getting an e-copy of that, are we? We don't get an e-book or an audio book. You said, you said that earlier on today. uh, That means that Michael must have finished his book. Well, yeah. (laughs) I think Michael may be really quick at typing. I don't know. He might have finished it. It's not the typing bit that takes the while, is it? It's yeah, just the it? ideas, surely. Oh, okay. Oh. Seeing as I'm not no, even it. remotely an author, then I wouldn't know, but... And it mm. sounds like it was about 50% writing, 50% editing from listening to the writer's interviews. I guess Jarvis has got a bit more perspective on that. Well, Michael is a very quick writer. He's very prolific, and he... Um, you know, he spends a lot of his time, obviously, outside of his work with Frontier. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many of you guys follow kind of what he does on Twitter and Facebook, but he's constantly running writing competitions and doing all kinds of uh, stuff where he's really involved in a kind of writing community. And he is, you know, very committed to his writing. I think I remember being surprised that, obviously, we knew Michael was was, was writing a book for Elite Dangerous. And at the point where we thought that that was the book he was going to be working on. There was actually another book that he was working on that he then wrote and kind of, and, and kind of you know, got, got out there and, and, and published. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Michael's book doesn't actually appear, you know, very quickly. I think um, some, you know, some writers do work that way. Um, you know, very famously, um, Philip K. Dick. Not that I am suggesting that Michael Brooks just takes masses of drugs and just writes a book overnight. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't oh, do that. I'd be more it's... tempted to read it if he did. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I, I you know, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if we don't see his book much sooner than, than we would otherwise have guessed. Ironically enough, that's what I did on Saturday was read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah, it's a, it's a you know, obviously we get overly dangerous, but I mean, it's, it's yeah. a great book. It's an, uh, And it's very interesting, you know, most people obviously know it, um, you know, as as the the source material for Blade Runner. Um, and it's interesting if you know the Blade Runner movie well to read Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep and just look at not only the stuff that's that, that's similar, but actually the stuff that's very different. It's you know it's a very different plot and setting in some respects. But that, that's an aside. That's okay. getting off track off topic, but it's a good book if anyone wants to read it. Yeah. Well I can safely say I will definitely be opening my box copy. I've never been a person for keeping things in shrink wrap. So um uh yeah, I'll definitely be putting that star map on the wall. Okay, if we're done there, it's time to move on to some discussion topics. Um and community driven events is a big thing at the moment. Um I think Frontier are probably really happy about that. Um with, you know, a lot of stuff happening being announced on the forums. Um, the first one up is Empire, Emperor's Grace. Now, I, I've kind of, you know, been so busy just in my own little world that I, I honestly don't know a lot about some of these, um, you know, player-initiated things. So, can somebody give me a rundown of this? I can give you a rundown of the Emperor's Grace one, I guess, because I was involved with that a little bit. Ah, uh, This is actually going back to the middle of January, where... Emperor's Grace were basically ordering everybody out of Kappa uh, to Kani and the surrounding systems and basically role-playing it as a where this is an imperial-only system and 
anyone who doesn't declare themselves for the Empire is going to be forced out with, you know, the tails between their metaphorical legs. Okay. And so how did that work out? Or how is that working out at the moment? Uh, I don't know what's happened at the moment, but last I heard the goon squad, who we believe of getting into later, got involved and took a bit of exception to it, because some of the guys in Emperor's Grace did it very respectfully, but very, you know, very forcefully but respectfully, and you know, really role-playing it with all the, the good signs of it. And other members of them, t- to be polite, were a bit... were just assholes, basically. Okay. Um, I've seen some very, very horrible screenshots of one of the members and the conversations that he took, which is... If anybody was involved with that in my old guilds in Warcraft or Star Wars, they'd have been kicked out of my guilds immediately. It's just it's that kind of behaviour I just would not would never have tolerated. Oh, very interesting. Um, but the idea is certainly one that I laud, and I think it's a great idea, and it's really nice. When they were doing it well, they were doing it very well. Okay. But some of them were a bit. Um. um so they stopped role-playing it, and they were just vicious, then, were they? Well, some of them were, some of them weren't. Okay. okay. So, so the goons turned up, and what, they just kind of ruined their plan? Well, the goons turned up and basically kicked them back to their original home system. Um, and I don't know what's actually happened about that in the past few days. It looks like the area's been relatively cleared, but I suspect that we'll hopefully... Yeah, I, I hope that we will be hearing more from these guys and they'll be doing more of these kind of events, because I think it's a great idea. Okay. Uh, yeah. So none, none of you other guys have had any fun with this? I mean, I know Chris Jarvis has been offline quite a bit, so maybe not, but Grant, you're just happy trading, are you? Um trading and grinding my way um, to, to the... I want to get to Python. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying... because I just haven't played the, the game much in the gamma stages and stuff and barely saw any of the systems, so for me, getting around more systems than I've ever seen has been fantastic fun. Okay. Um, but yes, I saw the... Um, oh, that was the Progenitor uh, Cloud... No, no, the Palladium Clouds planned and thought, oh, that sounds like an exploit or it sounds like there's something dodgy going on, but uh, there was one particular and I think it was on Facebook message that came in saying this particular Seeking Luxuries thing is is right next in the same system and it's only about a little jump from the station, you can buy this and make a fortune. And I thought, uh huh. And I went in and I had a wee sneaky peek and saw lots of ships with triangle shapes and thought yeah right I'm out of here <laughs> and that was it yeah that's exactly why I've been solo play okay so so this is now the goons um, they've got this palladium. that's not the goons doing that oh right the, go- the goons are, the goons are the palladium thing the what Grant was just on about with um, beta oh what's it called again um, let's get the name of it. Beta Sculptoris. Um, Beta Sculptoris is just a... As Grant said, there's a, it's, there's a lovely little luxuries run 
and it's eight light second. No, sorry, it's eight million mile, eight million meters away. And you pick up some luxuries. You take them to the ships, drop them off, make about twelve hundred credits a ton profit, get back to the station, rinse and repeat. But there are also swarms of anacondas and vipers and eagles that you fight your way through if you're playing it in open play. Oh, okay. So it's, yeah. that's just people kind of taking advantage of the fact that they know there's a lot of players exactly. trying to use that particular way to make money. Yeah, and I, th I think that's a perfectly legitimate tactic of the bounty hunters and the pirates to go and do that. Uh, yeah. The Goon Squad thing was... It's another event that's completely and utterly independent, and basically... If it really is Goon Squad, which is, is always a bit of a question, what is Goon Squad? Or who are the goons? Because they're so... cloud-like infrastructure, shall we say. Uh, but if it re if it's anything whatsoever to do with the uh, the goons, then they have actually been dropping clouds and clouds of palladium out. And it sounds like that was actually a very well-run and very popular event that... You know, they've they've done some good, and people have really enjoyed it from reading their thread in the forums about it. So they got all the money for this Palladium, then. Does anybody know? I have no idea. Um, could just be there's a bunch of them and they've picked it up. Um, could be through nefarious means. Could be... Who knows? Um, maybe, that's something maybe. that nobody's been asking, I think. Yeah, okay. Very interesting. So, uh, is that something? Have you taken part in that at all? Have you gone and no, got some I, free palladium? I personally haven't taken part in that. Um, I was actually, I was tempted, but I was kind of suspicious to show in, and I was I was suspicious to show up. Sorry, and I was expecting it to be show up and you get killed, which I'd have also found very very funny. Yeah, well, that's why I kind of assumed it was. But then I thought, but, really, does anybody not expect to see that? Yeah, but no, people showed up, and I've seen screenshots of clouds and clouds of palladium dropped by the guys, and they've also been protecting other players who have shown up when other people have come along to try shooting things down as well. So it sounds it's always like a, a, just a good publicity, it's a bit of a, a spot of good PR for them. Well, it sounds like a recruitment drive, I guess. But was there any? I, I were they actually trying to actively recruit anyone? Not that I've read in their forums. I I did make my way through most of the thread um, last night and a little bit today at lunchtime, and it's just been yeah we're doing this. Come along, have fun, guys. And people came along and they had fun. Okay, fine. Um, anything else of interest been happening? Player player generated events. I know that Crash is doing stuff in LFT133, but unfortunately Crash isn't with us tonight, so I can't actually say say what's happening there. Sorry, I've just gotten a very weird comm message on my screen. Um, and I also know that things are happening in Lou as well, but I personally haven't been taking part in any of that either. I was hoping that somebody else might have. Well, okay, well, i tell you, the best thing I can do with Lou, then, is to just follow the link that I have, because, yet again, it's, um, <laughs> uh, we've all been too busy doing other things. Um, so, oh, this is the Mercs of McKen. Is that how you pronounce it? 
they've kind of adopted the faction of a, of the system, haven't they? And they're trying to kind of make that system theirs in a way. I guess I'm wondering if uh, Frontier really saw that coming. The you know we've got all of these kind of randomly generated factions in all the systems. Did they see that players would say, "Well, I like the sound of this one faction. I'm now going to identify as part of that faction." and then kind of group together to make that the dominant faction of that system, and then hopefully spread to adjacent ones. So I, I think that's quite interesting. I think that's exactly what they're trying to do. Okay. I'll leave that there. Yes, there was one elite tie-in event that I saw, which was the Silver Comet. Oh, hang on a second. I got to be, I'm terrible at giving away spoilers. Ah, but... uh, do you want me to handle this? Yes, please do. <laughs> please do. Okay, so one of the things that was in the last newsletter was quite interesting was that in order to kind of make the Galnet news feed sort of a bit populated and feel more like a universe that there's lots of things going on and, and maybe there's stuff that reflects, you know, player action and this sort of thing, you've basically got the option now of, of writing to Frontier and giving news stories, which they will obviously, you know, edit for, for what they are happy for. Um, and it'll go out on the Galnet newsfeed. Now, there was a bit of a discussion among some of the, the writers, because actually what this allows the writers to do is to submit news feeds which are in keeping with their, their stories and the fiction that's been written. And, um, you know, these go into the newsfeed. So there is a story that, that has gone out, I think, today um, on Galnet, which is about sightings of the, the Silver Comet uh, and a missing pilot called Johanna Meister. This is a news story that directly links to the story, The Silver Comet in, in Elite Tales from the Frontier, which is, you know, the anthology story that is one of the fantastic books, uh, Elite novels. So, yeah, there's that. So there's, you know, hopefully we'll see at various points more news items related to some of the stuff in the fiction. I mean, obviously, depending on how much people know the different stories in things like the anthology and the different novels, but obviously some of them provide more challenges than others. I mean, Lave Revolution is a historical novel, for example. So the chances of seeing anything in the Galnet feed relating to the events on Lave are less than slim. You know, there's different options that, that people can do, and, and hopefully we can create an immersive universe that links in with the fiction. Um, I guess we could see a congratulations on the 30th anniversary or something like that. Yeah, I think one of the things that doesn't quite work for me about this Galnet news time thing, I think it's absolutely fantastic, but again, it links in with the the thing that it's like a moment in time. So players joining Elite in a month's time and reading the anthology in a month's time won't ever see that Galnet news story uh, about the Silver Comet. So these things, it's a little bit like theatre. I mean, it's sort of ephemeral and it, it happens and a certain number of people see it. But once it's gone, it's gone kind of thing. It's not, you know, as opposed to, you know, people are quite used to film and things now where you can come to it six months later and it's exactly the same experience. You know, this is not going to be the same experience. This story is is there now and it will it will be gone. But then again, we've seen similar type of things before. I mean, my go-to example is always World of Warcraft, where they usually have special events that happen. They'll run for a few days. Um, some of them end up quite notorious, like, what was it, the like the zombie blood incident, which made the news? Oh, there was stuff in Zulfarak where if you got to the plague, then people were going around and infecting Stormwind with it. Yeah, I mean, that was a genuinely of scientific interest uh, event, because... 
a lot of scientists use the data for mapping of things like the spread of viruses and things like that. Um, so it was genuinely interesting. But that was basically an event they put into the game. If you were playing the game at the time, you got to experience it. You got to experience the quests that were related to it and the instances and the things that they'd done for it. But if you joined it at a later date, you wouldn't be around for that. And that's another reason there were certain events where it's possible to get a title from it. And obviously, if you were a new player, there was not going to be a way for you to attain that because it was no longer available to you. So in one way, like Chris says, you know, it's, it's bad that new players won't get to experience it. But on the other side, it kind of generates a kind of an exclusivity within within the game world so that it's almost like a badge of honor. Oh, I was around when that happened. It's certainly one of the things recently that's got me much more inclined to be an early adopter in games that I'm really interested in. To give an example, obviously at one stage I was raving about fantasy life on the 3DS and I would say that being part of a community of players who were playing fantasy life online during the first sort of three or four months of its release is a very different experience to say if you were to get that game now. It's still an excellent game but there isn't that kind of buzz of discovery on, on Facebook and Twitter that you get with something that is a brand new and kind of current property. Does anyone else have any examples of other games that have done this kind of, you know, special events? Any Anything notable or interesting? Swotor definitely did this. They did a one-off event, uh, uh, the Rakugul Plague, which was a very popular event that they did about three, four months, uh, maybe about six months after the original release of, the, of Star Wars The Old Republic. It was an event that basically it lasted for a week. You had to go along to Tatooine and kill a bunch of zombie-like things. And then you potentially could get the plague. And they obviously, I mean, this is totally copied from World of Warcraft in some ways, that after you got the plague, if you didn't get it cured within a certain time limit, you basically were sick all over everybody and then died. Which was absolutely hilarious because people were coming along to the central space stations in Star Wars and deliberately congregating to puke up all over their friends and neighbours. Ah, so was it like WoW in that you actually had a key <clears throat> action binding you could actually trigger throwing up on people? No, there wasn't any key for it. It was just a, it was a timed thing. You had a 10-minute timer, and if you weren't cured by the end of that 10 minutes, you basically you were sick and you died. Ah, oh, right. Okay. And you, you exploded all over everybody. Which, But there was achievements to go along with this, so... You had you had an achievement, or you had a part of a mission to in, deliberately infect ten other players, which got you certain credits, which you could then go off and get a new skin for some of your companions or whatever. Okay, but you'd end up dead regardless. You'd end up dead, but you know, death in an MMO is really very very limited cost penalty, mm. um, as opposed to sort of you know dying in Elite Dangerous. If I'm in a Sidewinder, don't care about it. If I'm in a Type 9, then that's going to be a lot of money. Well, actually, I wouldn't mind that here. Now now we're talking about death and an MMO. Um, I was reading something today, and I th thought it'd be good to kind of expand on it. A lot of people have been revisiting this idea of death within Elite Dangerous and, you know, the penalties that go with it. I mean, this was discussed back in the DDF a long time ago. You know, what, what should happen when you die? Now we've got a lot of new players involved. They're looking at it, and, you know, do they feel that you know, it's a tough game, but it's tough when you die. Uh, and it all came back to this idea that traders have, you know, this this uh, a much larger risk than pirates, say. You know, pirates get destroyed, they just lose their ship, they can claim on their insurance, they're back in the game. 
but with traders, you know, partic- you know, you could potentially be carrying half a million credits worth of cargo. Half a million, more like you know, tens of millions. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about your average trader. I'm not everybody is in a um, like a. I'm thinking even just in a Type Six, you can say a Type Six with a hundred odd tons of palladium. Oh, okay, yeah, palladium. Yeah, sure. So, so for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's fine. Okay, yeah, so yeah, that's the extreme kind of, uh, you know, end of the scale. You'd be <laughs> very unlucky. So, I mean, what are your feelings on this now? Now that you've played the game and that you yourself might have been shot up with a bunch of palladium, do you think that, um, you know, it's it's that they should keep it as it is, as, as you know, a tough game where it's a brutal uh, thing that happens to you when you die, or do you think that that now is the time for them to get this um, cargo insurance put in? No, I think it's. I think it's good that Elite is brutal. I mean, Elite was always brutal, whether it's you know whether you're talking about it, you know, on the original version of Elite, completely ending your commander, you know, or like you know Frontier. Obviously, you had save points, but there was a tendency to for it to be quite a loss. Um, I think it would be a shame if it just became like a shooter, and that death was just a case of respawning. I think the the game should make you want to keep your existence persistent <laughs> if you like um you know it should be you should you should fight hard not to lose your ship and your cargo i think yeah because um, if is... anything i find that this is more brutal than elite or frontier because as you said you had saved games as long as you saved off the death i thought death yeah. was practically meant nothing but it really does mean something in elite dangerous so but you you, you think it, i mean i i'm inclined to agree with you i like the fact you know that um, you know there's a severe punishment, and in, if anything, originally I wasn't sure I was in, interested in Iron Man mode. But the more I play it, the more actually I'm more attracted to that kind of game style. So Ben, how do you feel? I'd actually like to see an optional insurance. So I have the whenever I buy my cargo, every time I take off, I have the or it's a flag or something like that, and I can pay, say, 10% over the odds for my cargo, but that means I have cargo insurance now. Um, but obviously, that means I'm making less profit, potentially not even making profit on a run. Okay, fine. Um, and I think that's what I would actually like to see, because, yeah, if I've got, if I've, say, got 100 tons or 200 tons of palladium, that's a heck of a lot of money, and that's the kind of thing that, yes, I would probably... Yeah, if I was doing that kind of um, shipping in the real world, I would go and get, um, I'd go and get the insurance and get my my post sent off, sent off, recorded. Whereas if I was just sending off, uh, you know, a silly little letter, then I don't really care, and it can go second class, and who cares if it gets lost? The way I look at it, though, and I don't know. Um, I might be getting a bit too political here, but I, I feel at the moment that um, insurance costs, like you present it, as in if you pay it before you take off, um, and it's a yes-no thing, it's almost like a tax on poor people in that <laughs> if, if, if you don't have a lot of money, you're forced to take the insurance because you, you just can't take the risk. Whereas, or you do take the risk. Yeah, 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 sure. But what I'm saying is if you've got a shared load of money, then you can actually say, well, I don't care if, if I lose it because I've got so much money, it, it doesn't matter. And so, in effect, the rich people don't need insurance, and so their profits go up faster than somebody who does need insurance. Or am I, ju- am I really just over-analyzing it? 
I th- I think you're. I'm not going to say you're overanalyzing it because I think, but I I just think you're wrong. Actually, that I think it's the kind of thing that if you if you don't have the money, but you're you're more of a gambler, then yes, you're going to do it. Okay. Um, whereas if you're 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 not going to take the insurance. I mean, whereas if you're somebody who likes playing it safe, then you accept that. Okay, I'm going to make less profit. But at least if I get blown up, then I'm not gonna. I'm I'm not gonna lose everything. Um, okay. But this is another thing that I'd almost be tempted to see some kind of additional profit, maybe for playing an open play. Um, I don't know how you could do this and keep it fair, but you definitely you take a much bigger risk playing an open play game. Playing in the open play universe versus playing in solo. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, uh, uh, fairness is a word that's thrown around a lot. And, but, oh, it is. Um, you know, I, I think it's quite easy to abuse the word. And I don't think I'd necessarily be against the idea that if you played or committed yourself to Iron Man or open mode all the time, that there should be some kind of remuneration for taking that risk, I guess. Um, it might actually make kind of get some of the fence sitters to make a decision and say, actually, you know what, I'm just going to play in open mode. So, well, if you d- if you did get a reward or you get additional profits for playing in open play, yeah, I think it's certainly something. Something needs to be done to encourage people to play and to take the risk and to make the universe feel more alive, rather than just sitting there. In solo, just going back and forth, and you're, you frankly, you are, you're perfectly safe, and you don't have commanders being very clever, very nefarious, and complete and utter evil swines sitting inside of stations deliberately gaming the system, making the station blow you up. But that's kind of where the fun is, and that's where the story is. And this is a, it worries me a little bit that. How it worries me how easily I could jump into solo and just do everything and not really face any consequences for my actions, but I'm just taking life a lot safer and a lot easier. Chris, do you have any strong feelings on this? I mean, you know, philosophically, are you against the idea of maybe rewarding people who play in open? I think it's, I think it's an artificial way of balancing um, a game. I think. Yeah, I think most I, most balancing is artificial, though, isn't it? So, um, yeah, maybe. I mean, you should really give greater rewards for more difficult and dangerous situations. And if there's a way that the game can understand that something about the challenge of, of playing in open play is more difficult than, than than playing in solo, then it would be good for the game to reflect that. But I wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> it just seems, on the like I say, on the on the like I say, on the one hand, it seems a really artificial way of trying to. I so I used to work for this company uh, that had a, an internal IT department, and the IT department had this new web page that they were trying to push, and they wanted the web page to be successful. And the way they did that was by changing everyone's startup across the organisation, so that the first thing they got when they logged into their work PC was the IT homepage, and I kind of called them up and had a word with them about you know that's not a, that isn't an effective way 
of making a product successful. You don't force people to do things a certain way. So to kind of bribe people maybe into open play by giving greater rewards seems to me to be that there is a failure to come up with other reasons to make open play fun and kind of desirable. I think it should, open play should sell itself. I mean, I don't, I, you know, people, you know, the discussions we've had, I'm not particularly a massive lover of PvP, but I play in open play because for me, the elite universe is about that, that interaction and, and, and that kind of world. But I don't personally get any benefits from playing in open play because I don't engage in PvP, you know, very much um, and don't really, at the moment, don't sort of club together with people um, for joint aims, but I think I'd prefer to see other ways of making open play the kind of the place to be. Um, no, no, that's uh, perfectly valid. Yeah, no, that you know there should be something unique about you know the, the the player interaction that makes you want solo play, even though there's no financial incentive. I think that would be more preferable, definitely. And maybe once we start seeing more multiplayer, you know, f functionality coming into the game, that might happen anyway. I think that the benefits of open play is the story, really. You know, I got, for example, if I'd gone off to that area that Emperor's Grace was in solo play, I wouldn't have seen anything. Or, but, but, but by being in open play, I had really a good, fun couple of hours of role playing with these guys. Um, yeah, you know, I was in. I was sitting there as an asp, and I was, you know, I am. A, I'm an imperial viscount, don't you know? And I'm very important. Who are you, you peasant? And that was great fun. I loved doing that kind of thing for a couple of hours. Um, and it was fun winding the guy up as well because he's just being a complete twat to me. Okay. Um, and I, I would never have gotten that if I were in solo play. But I'm wondering what the benefits of of open play would be to the traders, shall we say? Well, yeah, because um, I, I think that maybe during the Kickstarter uh, and during the alpha process that you could safely say there was a lot of role players involved in the community, whereas now we've got a lot more, as I'd call, mainstream gamers. That is not something that's not as important anymore. And there are people who are just trying to you know, play it as a straight game. And and that's why we're probably seeing a lot of people saying, oh, there's nothing to do, because mm. they're not interested in engaging in that kind of thing, you know, particularly people that look at credits as an end goal. And so they're just saying, that well, trading, well, yeah, but, you know, there's people saying, you know, I want a big ship, so I need credits, so I'm just going to grind out trading to get this big ship. And obviously, they're not going to want to engage with anything that's going to potentially damage their progression, such as other players. They want to yeah. minimise the risk. So, yeah. are we going to? Uh, you know, what we're basically trying to sell them is, you know, player-generated content, which is in effect role-playing, when they're not necessarily interested in that anyway. It, it should be inherently more rewarding. I mean, if you, uh, me and Alan obviously talk on the podcast about the live, the, the whole live role-playing thing, um, and there's a sense that it's that it's more rewarding achieving something when there are other players out to stop you doing it. Which is why you know my sort of semi-rant at the beginning of the beginning of this episode about the fact that at the moment it's not balanced for the trader. There should be strategies that you can put in place as a trader to make you more survivable against other players. 
um, and those aren't there. So there's no chance at the moment for, for trading to be rewarding in open play. At the moment, you know, if you, if you manage to get from A to B without being harassed, that's not satisfying, that's just lucky. And I think that's the distinction. They haven't, they haven't beaten anyone by travelling from A to B without being uh, pirated upon. Um, they just haven't been noticed, and that's not the same thing. Um, so I think, you know, like I say, I, I, I want to see more, more balancing in it for traders, really. So, and part of that solution that you think would obviously be put, taking on the hire, hiring of additional guards or something like that to come yeah. with you. Yeah, I guess you could have your guards along with you, and you pay pay them to sort of ten thousand credits or whatever to escort you to Zayons, and yeah. that you'd have that instead of your insurance, maybe. Well, maybe yeah. I mean, you, I mean, I, I'm not really. Yeah, I, th I think the insurance is still needed because it's, it's bizarre not to have insurance for something like that. But mm. uh, but I do think that you look at your projected profit for a run, and then you look at sharing a certain amount of that profit with. Uh, a bodyguard and i do think i mean there is an argument to say that with the game introducing wings it will obviously be possible to get together with a player and say can you kind of come with me while i do this run but i think realistically and practically for the way people play games you don't want to have to wait for a player to have the time or inclination to kind of come with you the game needs to support the hiring of npcs that can come Completely with you agree there yeah, and and if you think about the the way it changes the dynamic, I'm not even saying that the NPC bodyguard you hire will be a match for the pirates. But the point being is, if you're just a trader and there's a guy in a souped-up cobra, there's nothing to stop him just sitting on your tail, popping away at you until you either explode or give up. Whereas if there's a second target in that vicinity, if there's like an eagle with like a beam laser or something, it's just going to give that pirate something else. To have to react to that's going to buy you time to get away um and i think that's you know we're not talking about because some people would say oh i don't want frontier to introduce npcs that are so souped up because they're bodyguards that they can that they're kind of more powerful than other npcs we're just talking about adjusting the the statistical likelihood of a trader getting away and that's what a bodyguard is about is about running distraction uh, for the trader to kind of get safe. I think that's, that's what I'd like to see, really. I'd like that, and it would also be a good way to actually maybe stop trading to be so profitable um, and to to almost normalise it down to the sort of levels of bounty hunting and things like that. Or do you think it should be normalised down to bounty hunting levels, or do you think that bounty hunting or piracy should be normalised up to trading levels? Yeah, it's, it's. I don't know. On the one hand, it's hard to see how anyone would make a living um, being a bounty hunter at the moment. But at the same time, you know, I found that actually money from bounties is is one of my more profitable um, areas on on my on my kind of stats sheet. Um, I think it depends on how much money you're talking about making. I think for the people who are really grinding, um, bounty hunting is no way to make a living. Um, but I don't know. It's 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 hard to know how to balance that without just making bounties, you know, economically ludicrous. Well, I know I was talking to Fiery Toad earlier today, and I think he's saying at the moment he's making roughly three quarters of a million every five to ten minutes in his Type Nine at the moment. 
yeah. which you're never going to make in bounty hunting. No, and that's you know that's in some respects that's the choice of of the different types of gameplay. Um, I suppose in real life, people who are buying and selling goods and transporting them in in huge quantities, they are the ones who are making <laughs> millions of pounds every minute. Or oh, they're also making bank, shall we say, as well, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. I mean, looking back at what Frontier said during the Kickstarter, what David Braben himself said is that they said that they didn't want any one particular. Um, career to be able to earn more than any other do you think that there was a kind of um uh, something that they really couldn't actually deliver on do you think that ultimately you know this game is quite realistic it is a sim and so by the way it reflects real life it, it, you know it's going to have those hard facts about it that trading yeah is... I, yeah i mean basically you you have a situation, if you look at it from an economics perspective, where a single player can own a vehicle which is capable of operating as effectively as an entire logistics business, effectively. Um, whereas, you know, so you would never say that, in, you know, in the real world, an individual mercenary would earn as much as, like, TNT, for example. Um, so it's, yeah, I think the only way you could... I think if you wanted to balance them out so that an individual career was more balanced, you would have to um, basically make trading less profitable or make it so that, you know, there are no options for players to um, make such huge amounts of money. I mean, basically, you'd be restricting players to smaller ships and it would be a very different type of game. Um, the way well, I look I at it is it kind of balances itself out because I don't look at the game in terms of just profit. I mean, you know, as I said earlier, and Ben sort of said he agreed, it's not all about money at the end of the day. So no. when, I'm, when I'm deciding what to do, you know, if I just want to earn money because I need to go and I want to, I'm not far off upgrading my ship, then, you know, I can go and do that. But then I still, I do still look at bounty hunting as a viable career, not because of the cash, but because there is cash in it. And but there's more fun in it than trading, and I actually value the fun element of that. Yeah, and there's your rating as well. I mean, I think maybe what living as a bounty hunter or mercenary is missing is the the higher pay rewards for being kind of at the top of your profession. I mean, there's all this plot at the moment on Galnet News um, about you know the the imperial you know the uh, the emperor being sick. Um, if you were a really top class like assassin mercenary how much would the federation pay you to just bump to just off the imperial head of state you know that should be the kind of you know five million credit paycheck that uh, that kind of lifestyle offers well i think you've hit the nail on the head i think if you've got a good combat rating and you you know you're, you're a known bounty hunter who gets the job done then maybe you should be seeing more missions appearing which have a high reward and that could be your route to income I don't know that you don't. I mean, you know, I haven't, I haven't got my combat rating or my allegiance with a, um, any particular faction high enough to see other missions. But I'm sure um, someone, I think John, was talking about uh, there being other missions that appear once your once your rating gets higher. That where the you know the the the, the amounts of money on offer do go up quite significantly. Uh, maybe I just haven't seen. It. I mean, I'm now expert rated. But the only assassination missions I see are those ones where you've got to go and find an anaconda. Um, so that's 
it, and I think I've said this before, it'd be great for new players if the target they had to go and find was, you know, like a low-level Sidewinder or, or a Viper or an Eagle or something to kind of break them in rather than just yeah. offer a big juicy Anaconda to everybody. No, no, um, that's right. There's I, that as well as you could have groups of pirates rather than just a single pirate, you know, to, to make it a bit more exciting and... Something that's possibly they're talking about in the Mixler chat at the moment is uh, faction and your allegiances. You know, it doesn't seem to matter uh, who you are working for in the terms and scope of the game. So it could be quite interesting if you're a bounty hunter and you're taking out a lot of imperial enemies, if that's going to help your ranking with them, but possibly even lead to you having some kind of branding on your ship that tells people that you are an Imperial um, empathizer or, you know, you are working for the Imperials and have other more missions from them. And then when you go to a Federation station, they're kind of like, yeah, well, you know what, we've got some trash you can take out at the back there. Um, and they don't offer you anything because they don't like you. Almost the point that you're on their kill on sight mission. You're on their kill on sight list because you've been taking out all these Federation targets. I've always looked forward to something along those lines where you're doing successful trade runs for a particular station or a particular faction in a system and the other system's getting a bit cheesed off with your successes mm -hmm. and starts creating missions Create for players missions to hunt to you down and, and that's so where, you know, that's when we hit multiplayer and PvP being fully sanctioned by... Uh, Frontier, but also in a gameplay element where you can come on, you know, you log in that night going, I wonder if tonight's going to be the night some sod claims my 150k bounty. But that's when it comes back into into um, being an only being an open play. Because obviously if you're you're getting this, then okay, sure, you might get NPCs coming after you. But if you are in open play, then other, pe other humans are going to be trailing after you as well, and that increases the level of risk and danger that you're facing. But yes, I mean, the, the thing is, with f fleets as well, um, with that, it's going to have to come some more information too when you're collecting your bounties, because if your uh, target's got wings or it's maybe got maybe five or six NPCs on his, on his side, mm. that's kind of interesting stuff. You know, if you go down to the system where they were last spotted and uh, it says to you, yeah, last travelling with and gave you more information about the ships, you can decide, because that's one thing that bugs me about these missions is it tells you the target's name, whether it be like that amusing one that we saw on Facebook, Dick Action, and his you know, massive bounty you have to go and take out dick action and put an end to, <laughs> end to dick action was the phrase it used it was just hysterical but you're looking at that going can i handle that mission is this a good one for me it doesn't tell you what ship he's in you haven't got a clue surely to goodness the last ship he was seen in would be information that'd be available surely his last victim would have had a chance to go ah crap he's in an anaconda help yeah, you know, yeah, and I think yeah, that kind of information for, especially for new players who take on that. Oh wow, I've just got to shoot one guy. Excellent, it's one hundred and forty-six thousand credits. Brilliant. <laughs> off I go, my little side sidewinder. Oh crap! Oh my gosh, what's that going off, dude? <laughs> Yes. But if it said to them, warning, this, I mean, I know that it restricts it because they maybe not been successful with their missions prior, so they might not be able to access them at first. But when they do, you often, I mean, even me and my ass, I'll think, I'll go and take it on that target, but uh, I really can't handle an anaconda at the moment because I'm not quite kitted out for it. And you, you're looking at, we're looking at the price and the bounty going, that's going to be an anaconda. 
what's that new person doing? He's going to be sitting there going, oh, that's a cracking deal. Just kill one guy and I'll be fine. He's just got the pound signs in his eyes. Yeah, ka-ching! It's exactly what I did on the 17th of December. <laughs> okay, I'm going to I'm going to go to my host duties now and and kind of move us back onto schedule because um, we've got about half an hour left. Um, one of the big news stories that was out over the last couple of days is Frontier and their restructuring of the company. Now, uh, you guys might have to give me some information here. Now, I only follow so many games. Um, you know, apart from Elite and some, you know, very particular games that I'm well into, you know, things like Chaos Reborn and I think Evolve. I'm really looking forward to that as well. Um, I don't follow a lot of gaming news. So now I've, I've seen on, you know, on my um, my Google News Alerts, a lot of these stories now are talking about Elite, uh, so talking about Frontier and how they're having to re- they're restructuring the company and they've had to let 15 people go. Now... Is there a reason for this story? I mean, do new gaming news websites often write news stories about other companies that are letting people go? Yeah, it does come up. I think it's, um, it's, it's the sort of thing the gaming press does like to cover, um, particularly after a games company has just had a big launch. It always kind of makes the news if suddenly they're letting people go. But I mean... We were sort of talking about this a bit, and there's there's two aspects to the story. One is that Frontier are basically closing their offices in Canada, um, and you know, who knew they had offices in Canada? Frankly, um, I and, did. Um, I did. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. Then, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it, there's that. So they're 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 basically obviously not seeing any need to have their their, their, their sort of Canadian presence anymore. Um, but they're also letting 15 people go from uh, their offices in Cambridge, which obviously, you know, to start off with, it's a huge shame for those 15 people that are obviously going to be losing their jobs uh, at FD. Um, in terms of the overall thing for the company, though, I mean, it's quite often the case when you have such a big release uh, of a game like Elite Dangerous, there is a kind of need, I think, to look across the company, look at how you're doing things. One of the things that struck me was that the the, the 15 posts that are being made redundant um, are to do with uh, that they're labelled content creation. Um, and I do. It's, it's a bit ironic, seeing as we've been talking about the fact that one of the things seems to be lacking from Elite <laughs> is kind of human engineered contact, but I, content. But I do think that. It maybe it's something to do with you know if they're getting very confident with their ability to procedurally generate stuff, maybe they don't need as many people producing stuff by hand. It also sounds like it's got to do with with future projects because um, bear in mind Frontier have lots of different departments and they're not all working on Elite. Um, it sounds like it might be something to do with preparing for the next uh, roller coaster game. Okay, I mean cause the thing is, I mean. Um I would assume, I mean, these 15 people let go, I mean, I hope they find employment soon, um, because I know it's a tough industry, Uh, but the way I look at it, that if there's ever a time to let people go, it's probably going to be after you've just completed your massive project, and, you know, there's not the same kind of work ongoing for these people, and uh, it wasn't clear whether these people had actually been hired on a contract basis anyway. 
well, well, quiet. I, th- I think one of the reasons these sorts of stories make the gaming press is there's been lots of instances of of companies perform, you know, acting in quite a shoddy way, where they've kind of worked programmers absolutely half to death, um, and then as soon as the the game comes out. Um, you know, kind of sack them so they don't have to carry on paying them and enjoying the success of their work. You know, those are the sorts of stories that have made the the, the press and the you know over the years. But I don't think I think this is because you know Elite is obviously current. Um, there's been a bit of controversy over the whole refunds thing, so I think it's you know it's slow news day for the games press really. Okay. Fine. Uh, moving on swiftly uh, to community cor- corner, as we often call it. Oh, it's such a such a naff name. We really need to, we need to come up with something better. But um, you're going to talk about um, you know the goons arriving. Now we've talked about them in terms of uh, human generated content and them making things happen in the game. Do we think they're going to have as massive an impact on Elite Dangerous as they have in Eve? There's, there's too many in-game mechanics to stop. Uh, you know, you just... Oh, there's a goon system. I'll just jump into solo for what I've got to do there and carry on. It, their impact limit, unless they want to do positive impact, in which case, you know, welcome to them. And so far, they seem to have been adding a little bit of interest and some fun. So, you know, welcome. Absolutely welcome. Any group of people that are prepared to get organised to create... Uh, experience, whether it be negative or positive, but, you know, we got to welcome that. That's good fun. Yeah, that's my sentiments, pretty much. I mean, the, the, as they are limited. They can't cause, they definitely can't cause as much havoc as they, they have in Eve. But at the same time, <clears throat> whether you think they're doing good or bad, I think that, you know, anyone who's willing to organise and make stuff happen in a big enough way that it makes news within the game, I think is only going to feed into this kind of idea of players making the narrative absolutely and you know and it's the more creative they can become i mean i love the idea you were talking about earlier on with the a group of people just deciding you know what i'm going to be that faction i've read you know i've read about it in that system and i'm going to pretend like i'm part of that faction and what would be nice in these things is because i'm i think you know the more the merrier is really what i feel and okay they might particularly bring negativity but then Frontier can then adjust the mechanics to to deal with them and to create the sort of response from in-game NPCs to tackle issues if they decide to blockade a system well let's create a big massive fleet of security forces to go and unblock that system so Frontier's got the tools yes the joys of doing things live we're back we'd finished talking about the goons anyway we're glad to see them let's hope that they can contribute going forward i think yeah my point was yay more but let us pick sides and have it marked on our ship so people can see that we've picked a side so you can display your colors proudly that's what i want to see in the game i am federation okay my ranking might be pathetic but i am a federal shoot me if you're an imp i dare you so would you do that by having your Oh, having it as a wee sticker on your wing or something like that? Well, or I think, how would you want I think to do it that? has to be more intrinsic to the game. There has to be a benefit to you in Imperial Systems to, to fly an Imperial flag. Think of Pirates of Old, you know, flying the colours of where they are. And, okay, they then get scanned and get found out to be lying buggers and all cannons go wild <laughs> on them. But I'd love that kind of inclusion in the game. It's it, To me, it's missing. And, you know, especially in my wee little system of Beldacri, I'd love to declare myself one of the pirates in the Beldacri Brothers 
others, but all I can do is become allied with them. I can't become one of them, and I think I would love to be able to become one of them. Big fish in a small pool. Well, still, still technically a small, small fish. Well, yes, because you'd just be, you'd just be one of them. Yes, but you you know you'll be playing part of that meta game, and you'll be you know that that could be your game for the rest of your entire existence in Elite. Just oh, I yeah. So that's what I think's missing. Okay, moving on. News: Retrolave has finished deciding on what game to choose. Uh, this was discussed last week. I think there were a couple of suggestions, but they've chosen X Wing Alliance, which is on sale at uh, God if you want to play along with them. So, any of you guys going to be doing that? Hell yes. Okay. I'd say I've got X-Wing Alliance somewhere. <laughs> oh, so you don't need to go and pay for it. Great. It probably doesn't even... I've got the old disc edition. I'd be stunned if it works. Um, I've, got, yeah. I've got the old disc edition, and it, it works for me, but it requires encouragement. Okay. So it'll be interesting well, to see if GOG's done anything to make it work a bit smoother. Yeah. I mean, it'd be nice to, for me, it'd be nice to revisit it, because it was actually when I got my first ever gaming PC... Uh, X-Wing Alliance was pretty much the first game I got and played on it. And I should say, this was sometime, X-Wing Alliance was a classic by this stage. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a new game by any stretch. Yeah, it was one of the games that sold me the idea of getting a PC. Um, so it'd be interesting to revisit it and see how well it holds up. Okay. And we have a new, well, it's new for me, a new section of Community Corner where we now give people the right to reply. Hang on a second, I thought we ruled with an iron fist around here and that we're now letting people tell us that we're wrong. What's going on? I think what we're doing is we're, we're allowing people to, to reply and then we are mocking them for their views. <laughs> is, that, is that how it works? All right, it's a kind of disincentivize just for people <laughs> from disagreeing with us. Okay. I, I think it's actually Fozzer setting us up. I think it probably is, because he knew he wasn't doing the show. Okay, so um, apparently we got people disagreeing with us, which I think is great. I meet them on a daily basis. This is from Commander Simon Proctor. Or, yeah, I hope I got your name right. If I didn't, tough. And, and this is obviously based on you guys last week. You were talking about uh, Beta and Frontier charging to pay... Uh, sorry, charging people to play the new Beta, like the upcoming trials of the various updates so he's saying that his thoughts are to pay for beta first you need to take into account that the forums are horrible okay have you got any feelings about that guys i kind of lately feel the same way i can't yeah, disagree with him there it's not horrible you've just got to try a lot harder to find the nice bits yeah I, okay yeah i mean i don't think the word cesspit is one that i would use but <laughs> <laughs> it's not a scum it's not a hive of scum and villainy no no Although they might wish that they were. Um, so Frontier wants to do further beta testing. Okay, that's obvious. They can either let everyone who wants to do it in, which case backers will complain. And we know that, uh, yeah, and everyone will always complain. Or they let only backers do it, in which case the rest of the forums will complain. Or let backers do... Well, I'd, I'd say that you could let... Not backers, but previous beta backers, you know, people, including people that had bought into beta during that process, the rest of the forums would complain. I don't know, but would you, would they be entitled to complain? It's like, no, you, you know, you bought the game after, bought it when it Ooh. came out. Well, I don't know. Okay, okay. You're going to explanations yeah, never, why never. people shouldn't be upset. <laughs> okay, okay, alright, alright. Why are you upset? I was say, what I you asked for? I don't think having a 
I don't think having a right to complain has ever really occurred to anyone okay. who goes on yeah, the forums yeah. to complain. Good points, good points, guys. I'll, all right, I'll finish reading it and then we'll pick it apart. Or let backers do it, but charge a nominal fee to let others do it and then fail to explain this so it looks like money-grubbing technique. Just my thought, based on the little we know right now. Okay, so I, I, I don't think he's berating anybody. You know, he is just presenting his thoughts and I, I, I share his concerns because... Overall, I think the Frontier are damned no matter what they do. They're always going to have people complaining. And the people that complain, I can see why they're usually complaining, and I can kind of sympathize with them. My problem has always been news outlets making a, a mountain out of a molehill when they decide that six people posting on a thread is a news story. Evil um, conglomerate you... charges £500 yeah. pounds to access beta. This is disgusting. Which, you know, and I suppose even that wouldn't be so bad, but all it does is it gives existing people with an axe to grind another place where they can just go and post their usual rhetoric, I guess. But so, guys, I think he's made some valid points. I think it's. Does a- anybody actually disagree with, you know, his kind of suggested scenarios? I think there's one question, and it comes down to marketing, and it really does come down to marketing. If you just say, we're going to charge for beta access, that kind of. You know, it leaves people going, right, so why would I want to pay to beta test for you? Now, if you change the question, if you said, how much are you willing to pay to be able to do planetary landings two weeks before anybody else, suddenly, that's a positive. And there's positives to be had. You can get access to some of this content earlier, work it out to your advantage so that when it goes live, you can rip the arse out of everybody else. However, I do think that this is a very much damned if they do and damned if they don't. But if they were clearer on their reasons behind it, we could at least be more sympathetic to why it's being done that way. And it all comes down to how much they're willing to charge and how much willing people are willing to pay. Well, I, I think that I said this. I mean, I didn't say it before it happened, but I said it very soon after on Lay Radio, but I'm not claiming that I was, you know, prophetic in any way. But I did say pretty quickly after this whole thing kicked off with opening up alpha and beta access to people who didn't back it at Kickstarter. Personally, it should have just been the original backers. They shouldn't have opened it at all. I know the reason they opened it, which everybody forgets, is that a shed load of people turned up on the forums and said, we will pay you money if we can now get in on this. But I still believe that originally they should have just kept it to the people who pledged on the Kickstarter. And all right, they could have given early access to the press, you know, people who wanted to report about it on gaming websites. But they shouldn't have opened it up to the public because then they just opened themselves up to this cash for beat of nonsense. But everybody seems to forget that the whole reason that they're doing it, well, initially, you might be able to re-argue it now, but initially was because there was a lot of people on the forum saying, please, 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 Frontier, can I get in on the beta or the alpha? So that's And you've I got think. to charge for it because you've previously charged yeah. people for it. Exactly. Because it was a kick. So I think the, the only thing I think is different now is that with the game now out, you know, all the people that paid to basically play Elite Dangerous before it was out, they've had that kind of reward. So there is a part of me that thinks actually for to ask people to test now is actually kind of asking now more of a favour of your user base. Yeah, and, <laughs> actually, I actually, and actually it isn't a privilege. I know, I know Grant's talking about, you know, planetary landings two weeks early, but really, I mean, you know, we've, essentially we've got the game. I think there would be, 
less interest now in beta access and i think the people who are going to do it are going to be much more people that want to do kind of testing on new features you know the sort of people that download unstable version of browsers and stuff like that yeah i i think that if they were going to do it now open it up now i would be happy i mean personally i would be happy for them to say beta access for these new features is now free to everybody because our obligations under the Kickstarter are now complete because the game is out. Well, actually, no, I seem to remember them in the DDF or something at some point saying that going forward, they would allow the backers to beta test early stuff. But I don't think they said that it would be exclusive to them. So personally, I think that if they are going to do it, they may as well just open it up for free to everybody because I do think that they fulfilled that part of their pledge to the backers. Not only that, but you've also got the fact that by me spending a week in beta land, I'm losing a week's progress of my main commander. What's, what is the benefit for me personally for helping them beta test their game? Yeah. Well, it depends how much of a philanthropist you are. I mean, if you just, I would look at it as just helping them out testing and getting a, a quick preview of what's coming up. You know, I wouldn't yeah, so, expect okay. to pay for it. I, that, for me, would be the reward, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but I, I would just, I'd log on, I'd say, ooh, we've got pretty lights on the back of the planet. Okay, I'm done now. Well, I think there's going to be a little bit more than that, but yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean. That's why we need new beta black backers, Ben, it's because of people like you. <laughs> but yes, anyway, this was last week's topic of conversation. Oh, well. And the week before, I think I've debated this before as well. <laughs> okay, right, fine. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. Um, oh, the only thing I did want to say is, you know, time for some speculation from you guys. Um, how are they going to? Because they've said that when we do the beta testing, uh, we're going to be we're not going to be doing it with our you know existing commanders. I'm wondering how they're going to implement that. I mean, the way I would do it as a if I was a developer who was trying to think of a way of giving people access is on the day of the beta, I would copy everyone's existing commander to the beta system and allow everyone to test with their current account, and then not worry about having to give people ships and money and all that kind of thing. But uh, any any other thoughts how they might do it? Oh, well, I have a thought that we need a jingle for wild speculation of the week. Because <laughs> it, <laughs> it should be a feature of the show. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> but, you know, I thought that that was an intelligent answer rather than just pulled out my ass. It was a kind of, <laughs> this is, you know, the kind of thing that we do in the real world with software. But, okay, fine. Yeah. It did well, a common to... thing. Sorry, Chris, you go. As I was going to say, it did occur to me that, I mean, you were saying about with testing obviously the thing is you don't want to break your live environment and it kind of depends on the changes they're going to make because they've got this instancing thing you could just set it so everyone who opts into beta only gets instanced with other people who are opting into beta and then you're all sharing the same features but within the same universal back end so all the money that you accrue and the the, the, the stock market trading you do could still be part of the live server but that's kind of that's a hybrid approach, yeah. Yeah, I can always feel the programming you, John, thinking that's the cowboy. That's the, you know, that's the that's the editing the live system. Uh, no, I, d I don't. I I don't like the. I don't like. That. I think that idea sounds more like hard work than just copying the data, <laughs> let them play on yeah. it for a week, and then you know let them go back to the live system. That sounds like more work. What you're suggesting, but you know, well, I, mean, I mean, you'll know this as well as anyone. But it depends on how much kind of hardware you've got for having an entire copy of your game environment running separately in another instance. Well, we already and know from LaveCon that they have another set of okay. servers. So. Well, that's cool then. Well, what other MMOs do, and it seems to make a lot of sense for Elite as well, 
is that you log on to their backend system and say, please go and copy my commander over to the beta server. And then I guess, you know how we've got to the choice of, when we go to the launch, we've got the choice of playing Elite Dangerous or playing the training scenarios or whatever it is. Then we'd also have a choice in that little menu there of play the beta. And when you play the beta, you play, you're lo loading into your beta commander, which you copied over early. Yeah. Okay. Um, and okay. I think that makes more sense rather than copying everybody over. Oh, when I meant everyone, I meant just the beta backers. But okay. Mm -hmm. okay, quick shout out Elite Meet on the 28th of March in Birmingham. £10 a ticket. I unfortunately can't make this because I don't have enough brownie points, but I understand a lot of people are going. Are any of you guys going? I'm going. Um, I'm doing my best. Absolutely. He's doing his best. He's doing his best. I, okay. Yeah, I, I haven't thought that far ahead. <laughs> um, it's only March. It's, it's two months away. Yeah. There's a short URL for this, anyone listening who doesn't know about this. If you go to bit.do slash elmeet, uh, you'll find details there. Okay, so time to That's move on. Spelt M W E T, by the way. Yeah, you, you might you might want to add Ben that you know <laughs> that it, it is basically a very social meeting. There's not going to be any sort of planned activities or anything. It literally is. Let's meet up, have a chat about elite, and have some fun. Yeah, I meet up and have a drink. Pretty much, maybe a bit more than that. I know Dave Hughes is going to be there doing his elite encounters. Well, yeah. um, so I know that's something that's definitely happening. I didn't know you were coming and, and getting your meet up. I, I can't. I don't. What people do you know where you, when you say elite meet, you think I better correct them just in case they think. <laughs> oh, I had because this is happening just around the corner from me, and because Mike Snoz, who's the main person who's arranging it, is has hearing difficulties. I've kind of been the one who's gone along to the hotel and said, "Hi, here's a hundred pounds deposit, please." And going up to this nice young lass in the hotel saying, here's £100 deposit for elite meat and trying to keep a straight face. It's a very difficult thing. I mean, it's almost as if you know, I could almost go off and say, you know, you don't have to suck my raspberry, my raspberry ripples, mate. You know, you're just, it's not the kind of thing you say in real life. Okay. But I had to do it. I mean, it sounds like... It turns out this, I'm gutted we're live. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking that there's a butcher out there who wishes he changed his name from Elite Meat to something else. Okay, right, let's go on to <laughs> listener questions. And there's quite a few of these, uh, more than in front of us, because I know that people have been busy posting on Facebook. So we'll get to as many as we can. I'm sorry if we don't get to your question. So the first one from Steph Worth. Hello, Steph. When you return to normal space at the station, there's currently relatively few different objects to see. There are you and the station, obviously. The body around the station, which it orbits, usually, uh, plus other ships. Uh, we might also... In um, could they also add some variety, like satellites, orbiting defense grids, uh, wreckage been towed suggestions? So, is there anything you'd like to see outside a station, guys? Is this the George Lucas edition of Elite Dangerous, where there's just loads of crap floating in front of your screen? For no apparently good reason. Yeah. Just like hover droids coming past your uh, screen. and uh, No, I, I don't think it's a good idea. It does sometimes feel a bit lonely around the stations when the stations should be a kind of a real hub of activity. I think the thing I miss most is those big super containers that we were in uh, Elite 2 Frontier. Ah, yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah, they were yeah, really definitely. nice. 
we've got exciting things to fly past kind of already in, in the space stations, but I always kind of liked just, you know, on my way out of the station, just buzzing them. It was just nice to get that feeling of speed as you kind of, you know, flew past them at ridiculous the high speeds and then also buying the most expensive laser you could you could get and then seeing how much damage you could actually do to them because i don't think i ever got them down below 99 percent hull no certainly not before the police arrived no, and, quite. but i mean i guess what we didn't see in the previous games was lots of other ships leaving and entering the, the space station so we have that instead which kind of mirrors that idea of that there is traders coming and going i guess yeah no it's just there were talk there was talk of ships that were too big to dock inside the stations that would be kind of moored up and refueling. Mm. I think yeah. that's that's obviously you know not currently there. It'd be quite yeah. interesting if you were going into a pirate station if they had lots of like police vipers, you know, kind of destroyed, partially destroyed, kind of dangling from prospective ropes <laughs> outside the station to ward off law yeah. enforcers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. have that rather than the advert of a great big pirate symbol on this I still, I still think they should have massive advert boards as well just for sort of the humour aspects of things and advertise ridiculous <laughs> products that you can buy in that station oh, yeah, Foz's just is a good thing with having a system's most wanted pilot board hanging around outside the station or something like that which I think makes a lot of sense Well, just in case the guy in front of you is actually on that list you can get a quick well, kill exactly. in Seems perfectly seems a good idea. Or even, I mean, this is taking us back to what we were talking about earlier. That if somebody who's on their wanted list shows up and is just detected by a police uh, by a viper, having that almost coming out across as a system wide alert saying, "Hey guys, yeah. Commander So and So's here. Come and get him." It's a good idea. There's also a suggestion in the chat of racing rings. Well, so just while you're waiting to dock, it's like, do you want to take part in a drag race or something? <laughs> what are you going to come up with the next, you know, space dogging or something? <laughs> so <laughs> we have a nice little car park around the back of the station. <laughs> two, flash, two flashes for you can watch, three flashes to join in. Okay. <laughs> Not about space dogging. That, that, that was quite a feature of the early Lave Radio yeah. podcast. <laughs> right. Martin, yeah. Martin uh, Bergeron, I, I think we've actually kind of already addressed this question. But just to read out, bounty hunting, what needs to be done to make it as profitable as trading? Well, I personally don't think it can be in the current form it is. I think that, first of all, I think that players need to accept that fun is a currency within the game. And so bounty hunting is actually of more value than just the cash. But, you know, maybe there's something they can do to link in players rating with better paying missions or something. That's all I can think of, really. Anyone else? No? No, it seems fair to me. No, okay, just to, Pat- to increase the sort of uh, you know pirate gangs and and create sort of you know uh, multiple targets that will then create a bit more bounty to it. So you know if you're jumping after some pirates and they've got six friends in their clan and sidewinders that are slightly easier targets, you can multiply your your ticket so to speak and make a bit more cash on it. So I mean, this this one on one stuff could easily be expanded and, and make it a bit more fruitful and, and again, increase that fun currency. Okay. Right, Patrick Mars. Oh, I hope I got that right. Topics could be Navy Missions WTF. Patrick, dude, was this on Twitter? Is there a way you can kind of give us a bit more inkling of what you mean? <laughs> um, obviously, you don't approve in, in some way, so I, I'm going to skip that one. Upgrading your ship 101. 
I think Fozzer mentioned last week there needs to be a bit more guidance to players when they're in the outfitting on how to kind of upgrade their ship. I think that's something that should be done within the game rather than just giving people a manual and expecting them to read it. Player-generated news? Well, that's kind of happening in a way now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, now that Frontier are taking suggestions. Um, and in-game jukebox for music or live radio. Yes, definitely. That's one thing I 100% agree with. <laughs> live radio in-game. Um, but, um, I, I, guys, do you still have the music turned on when you play the game? No. Do no. you still listen to the soundtrack? Well, I, I don't, because I quite early on I turned off the music so I could record sound effects for the audiobooks. And I've never turned it back on, so... Yeah. Um, what I find myself doing, I mean, I think the music's great. I, I used to love sitting in Super Cruise and just listening to the soundtrack. It was fab. Um, I think for one reason or another, because I've been recording the game or playing it and podcasting at the same time, I've turned it off. But every so often I do turn it back on. And every time I do, I kind of enjoy it. So I think the music's great. But if players want to be able to have their own jukebox, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm just being too pragmatic. But can you not just fire up your media player or something and just play music? Yeah, but it'd be nice for the game to control it. I mean, things like if you could. So one thing, one of the games I used to like was um, the um, one of the ones in the Baldur's Gate series. And when you created custom characters, you could have certain sound effects play when you activated certain things. So the game would control kind of certain sounds. So it'd be, I think it'd be nice to be able to say, well, you know, when I when I request docking, play me the Blue Danube. That would be kind of cool. Because then that, that sort of brings back the frontier memories of it. Or, you know, get it to say when you come out of hyperspace, play me that terrible and unidentifiable tune that Frontier used to play. Well, it could be a case that you, you could have defined playlists of MP3s and then attach them to certain events. So during combat, mm. it'll swap to your hard rock list. And then docking, yeah. it would be more of a kind of, you know, Enya or something. I don't know. I'm now thinking yeah, about something they could sell on the Elite Dangerous store and have you know, different sound packs for different things. You know, every as we know, every sound that we hear in game is technically artificial in terms of the in-game lore. So well, you know, this yeah, is taking us back to the Simpsons sound pack or whatever, or yeah, a Star Wars sound pack, or the Star Wars sound pack. Yeah. Okay. Well, interesting. Okay, moving on swiftly. Martin Forrester asks, put yourself in the place of new players to Elite Dangerous. Obviously, we've been playing the game for a long time, so we take a lot of stuff, you know, it's just like common knowledge to us. So what would you, you know, we need to imagine what it'd be like for new commanders fresh out, you know, just bought the game, put it in. I mean, personally, I think that we... It's a good topic for show. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think we need to kind of do a bit more to kind of appeal to new players, you know, um, as Patrick said, like a 101 for them. But I think his question is more specific. He says, what can we do to sell this game to, to new players, people who might not have played elite games or even space games? I mean, how would you talk to your friends and try and get them interested in the game, guys? It's got to be the experience narrative, hasn't it? It's got to be, you'll never believe what happened to me. One of the big things about playing GTA Online is the hilarity, the the heaving until you're, you're laughing so hard as you heave, <laughs> your ribs are breaking under the sort of hilarity of watching someone get their brand spanking new car, take it out of the driveway and you put a grenade on it, you know? The kind of experience and the sort of 
the the combined gameplay and, and fun that you can have. So when you've got a story about how you took on a mission to go and do X, Y, and Z, and on the way this happened, and then you bumped into it, and this happened, and your enthusiasm comes over, that's going to get people to do it. Combine that with, we've got an awful lot of YouTube content and recorded video. If you get these stories out there through the likes of Galnet, and it's a shame that Galnet's not got video and, and images because that would really, really help people look at it. They would see a story and that would relate to them. They would think, oh, that sounds good. I'd love to be part of that pirate gang. I'd love to be part of hunting that pirate gang down. And that's how you get people hooked in because at all times with Elite, the complexity is your barrier, and the only thing that's going to get you over that barrier is a nice, big, dangling carrot. And that carrot has got to be multiple carrots that appeal to lots of different people. So your bounty hunters, they're going to want to see stories about you know big bounties and massive battles on the way. That's what's going to get people wanting to get over that hurdle. God, I'm relieved. I wondered what the big dangling thing that was going to attract people in was going to be at the end of that sentence. <laughs> oh, thank you. I think one of the stories that I read in some newspaper or article somewhere was that Elite Dangerous is the ultimate water cooler game. And I think they're right. I mean, that's exactly what's... It's talking, talking about the game and talking about all the experiences that you had and how you, you went to such and such a planet and you saw like this moon lining up in perfect conjunction against a star with ring systems off to the side and it just looks so beautiful. And just describing that and making the guys go, wow, I wish I'd seen that. Yeah. Or your other stories as well that you could just talk about with your mates and say, yeah, this was something, this was awesome. Because the, the Galnet stories are interesting and they do paint a kind of nice picture and everything, but frankly, what does that mean in your day-to-day -day game? Do I give a crap if the Imperial chappies die? No. Doesn't make me jump into the game, oh, I really got to go and see it. Can I go and see it? No, I can't. Can I go and take part in taking out one of these big officials? No, I can't. So it's really irrelevant to pulling in people to think what they can do. I mean, you've got the goons, they're in there and they're thinking, let's go and make people either cry <laughs> or whatever. But that's their reason for getting in and that's their reason for getting over the complexity of it because that is, as I say, the biggest turn off for people as they sit in that ship and go what the hell do I do here and then if they've got a reason of something they're wanting to do if there if there's a local news story about a pirate that you know they reckon they can take out then that's it but you've got to be able to port that onto the social media circuit to spark people's imagination it's about playing the game your own way blazing your own trail but you're going to have to show trails that give people that inspiration to get out there and start blazing okay next question robin loxley i hope that's your real name that's cool after putting in the amount of playtime that you have what is the one thing that you would change in the current build so that's not adding in new multiplayer aspects but you know changes that you want to see and such as acceleration deceleration in super cruise you know do we think that we could get to stations faster Docking up in stations, does it need to be harder, easier? And, oh, he also asks when Series 3 of Escape Velocity is going to come out, which I'm sure we'll come to. So is there anything you guys would want to change about the current mechanics? Yeah, if we could get rid of the farty sound effects for the ASP, I'd be quite happy. 
Uh, no, I love the asps. I love the Aww. asps engines. Keep the asp engines. There's I some... love my World War Two bomber sounds. <sighs> I, I feel. I feel like I should say something at this point <laughs> because, from the audiobook perspective, con- considering the the asp is such a meant to be such a meaty ship, it doesn't. The, the sound effects of it in, in audio terms don't deliver the same punch as the other ships. Okay, but I'd almost. I have to say, I'd almost level out the Cobra as well, but. I mean, you know, people listen to audiobooks and have to maybe have different things. My personal favourite sound effect is the Sidewinder. It's got a lovely engine noise. Really nice. Okay. Uh, personally, I, I think that although I love Super Cruise and I wouldn't take it out of the game, I think it couldn't hurt to make it a little bit faster. Not too much, though, because obviously I still want to see interdictions. But, you know, sometimes when you come out by a sun and the, the nearest station is 150 light seconds away, I, I really want to be there a lot quicker than I am at the moment, I guess. But Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be honest. If there's one thing I'd change, I, I still don't understand in Supercruise what determines my acceleration or deceleration rates. Well, it's supposed to be mass. What nearby I know mass it is. is. Uh, there's nothing, like, sometimes I'm, when you start off, you know, it starts off and it's really not accelerating, and you sort of think, well... Maybe I'm too close to the sun, but you look on your scope and you look around you and you can't see anything. And then when I'm approaching an object, the whole business of at what point you're travelling too fast to slow down, I don't know, it seems to me to be really random. I can't seem to find a good way of managing it. Essentially, by the time the thing comes up that says slow down, it's already too late to decelerate. So Um, would you almost want some kind of artificial colouring imposed upon your HUD, I guess, Showing you yeah. the gravity wells and how much they're affecting you, maybe. Maybe I just yeah, I just want some sort of clearer information because the the thing I find is that that they introduced this thing at one stage in beta, which was this timer countdown that sort of indicated your current time to to reach that target. But the thing that's weird is when you're heading towards a target and your ship is gradually decelerating, that number goes up at the same rate you decelerate. So when you're approaching an object, you're approaching at eight seconds away for about two minutes. <laughs> it's a bit I just find it a bit weird. I mean I like supercruise. I, li- I like it as a mechanic. I just think the information around how you can kind of improve your flight times I'm not sure at this stage how to get better at getting to a planetary body quickly and decelerating accurately. I don't know what I can do to improve, and I keep overshooting things. Okay, and when is Escape Velocity Series 3 coming out, Chris? Come on, everyone wants to know. Okay, yeah, we've had a few comments recently from people asking about Escape Velocity. Uh, thank you very much. Obviously, you know, it's really gratifying that people enjoy it. The thing with, with Escape Velocity is that it's obviously takes up a, a huge amount of time and one of the things that the escape velocity has enabled me to do in terms of confidence and stuff is actually become a commercial audiobook producer and that's not to say that i'm not still interested in doing things that i'm passionate about but one of the things that's that's problematic with escape velocity is because it's unofficial elite dangerous fiction we're not allowed to sell it and that's not to say that we would, if there was to be another series of Escape Velocity, that you know people would necessarily have to pay to hear it. I, have, I haven't actually worked kind of anything out as to what we'd do. But the point is, we've got two series already behind us of Escape Velocity, and I can't put those episodes on CD and kind of sell back episodes for people that want a hard copy. 
So really, the thing that needs to happen uh, and has needed to happen for the last sort of six months for Escape Velocity Series 3 to happen is basically for, to, for me to come into some sort of agreement with Frontier uh, about Escape Velocity being more of an officially sanctioned product. And it's not just about having permission to sell it. There's actually, I've got plans and things in my head of great stuff that we could do with Elite Dangerous as it currently is and kind of in-game events affecting the plot of Escape Velocity uh, and even seeing certain, you know, if, if players are doing things, we can reflect that in the, in the, in the evolving plot of Escape Velocity. Because, of course, actually audio drama is not quick to turn around, but compared to something like video, you know, it's, it's comparatively low maintenance. Um, but I think that's just the thing, you know, we need we need to get some kind of agreement between ourselves and um, Frontier about being able to monetize uh, Escape Velocity, because at this stage that's the only thing that's going to pay for the time. And also the actors, you know, bear in mind that all those actors um, have never seen a penny from all the hard work they've put in. Um, and obviously I'd like to be able to pay the people who come and perform for me. So the only thing I'd say is... The problem at the moment is Frontier are obviously very busy post-release and dealing with all kinds of updates to the game. I don't know how much they're seriously thinking about more kind of fiction tie-in stuff. The only thing I'd say to people, and it's obviously massively cheeky, is you know rather than writing to me or writing to Lay Radio to ask for more Escape Velocity, write to Frontier and ask for more Escape Velocity. Because if, if they hear from enough of you, they might call me up and that would be excellent. Or write to your MP, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> I think the most important thing that we need is to get the Merlin in the game. Well, there's that. I mean, there is, I mean, you know, those who follow Escape Velocity will know that it's set in a slightly earlier timeline. Um, and I, you know, I did have things kind of planned to sort of bring stuff up to date over a series of time. But I mean, honestly, it's, I am passionate about Escape Velocity and there is probably no one that would like to see Escape Velocity Series 3 happen more than me. So, you know, here's hoping. Okay. Next question from, oh, these names get more difficult. I'm sure it's someone testing me. Load Warren. I'm sorry if I butchered that. I probably did. Um, has the fact the game has been kickstarted damaged it? Do people feel that FD owe them something? Does this explain the dissent? Well, I certainly think that the fact that people think that they're owed something explains a lot of dissent. But I don't think that the Kickstarter has damaged damage the game and i don't think that um in general that uh, crowdfunding is is bad for games i think it's more of a perception thing i think people need to when they're you know um thinking about kickstarted games they need to stop judging them by the same yardstick as um you know games that have been published using the traditional method and i think that when people say things like paying for beta access when talking about people pledging they're conflating two business models. And there's so many other things as well that when people are kind of um, complaining or um, addressing criticism at crowdfunded games, they're doing it um, while thinking of you know other games that have been published um, via a different route. So I think that is you know the problem. But I don't think the problem is so big that it will put off other, uh, pub- um, other developers using that model. And I don't think in the long term it's going to damage Elite Dangerous because I think ultimately the game will stand and fall on, you know, um, the game itself, ultimately. Uh, People, although there's lots of nasty things that people say in the comments section, I think that most people 
understand that it's like reading the comments in the Daily Mail. You know, there's just no point because it's just mostly nonsense. I think people are more interested in checking out videos, maybe trying to play the game themselves or speak to players who've been playing it for a long time. And I think that as long as it's good, um, you know, good positive things coming out of those avenues, I think the game will do well. Does anybody else have anything to say? I guess not. Oh, okay. Oh, I managed to answer a question on my own. <laughs> Hold on, John. <laughs> okay. Uh, feel free to write us if you disagree with me, obviously. Um, and Ian... Oh, come on, give me a break. Ian Honcharenko uh, says, Which ship has the best interior? Such a topic is likely to spark a Top Gear-esque debate. Okay. Um, well, you can be Jeremy Clarkson, Ben. Um, what does this mean? I have to start smoking and swearing at the same time. Yeah, I want you in. In I want you to do an impression of Jeremy Clarkson <laughs> and tell I us. I don't even know what he sounds like. Um, I've never actually watched this. Top Gear. Oh, has anybody watched <laughs> Top Gear? Can anyone do Jeremy Clarkson? No. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. You're Jeremy Clarkson. Then come on, give us your opinion. <sighs> I don't know. Something like uh, something like. What's the what's that um what's the what's the name of the Imper is it the Imperial Courier is that playable is that the one the with cutter. the curly cockpit? It's the Imperial Cutter is it? It says yeah. something like uh, the Imperial Courier's cockpit looks like the inside of a French tart boudoir, and I would destroy it just like that. Something <laughs> like that. Covers okay. it, yeah. I think I think I think what I think what we'd essentially need to do is to find some way of towing a caravan behind an adder. And then just like dropping it into a star, I think that that would be the Top Gear thing to do. Yeah, they don't review many cars anymore, do they? <laughs> they just destroy caravans. <laughs> they, just, they just offend foreign nations. Yeah, and, uh, or have a race around Vietnam or something. Okay, so the, the, the uh, hauler so looks like a, a van. I mean, it really does look like a van. So it's the one thing it's missing is a Greg's wrapper. Yeah, yeah. or I could get a Mcthargoid shake or something like that. Well, I'm going to answer the question seriously. I think the best cockpit for me that I've actually seen, um, that I've actually tested out myself, is probably going to be the ASP. Although I am aware that the Type 7 cockpit is very sexy. There's a very large field of view. It's all glass. Um, and I've also heard that the cutter is very good because it's a bubble. There's no joins in it. So, um, you know, because for cockpits, I think they're all pretty samey during most of the game in that there's something at the bottom there which you've got your holographic display on it's all about you know visibility and and what you mm -hmm. can see and how connected you are with with space but anyone got any dissenting opinions is the what well, is the asp the one where you can look down and see stars through your feet and it's uh, there's kind of a lower deck all lake and ones are like that the, all the lake ons are like that i don't think the uh, asp what i'm thinking of the asp a little bit but not so much as the lake ons so, I would uh, definitely agree, though, what, with what you're saying about the Type 7, that when I first moved into that, after coming out of a Type 6, it was just like, oh my god, I, yeah, I could I could play squash in this, ca in this cockpit or something. Yeah, it's so tall, compared to all the ships I'd been in earlier. Um, I can't remember what the Type 9's cockpit's like, but I've got a feeling it felt a lot taller than I remember the Type 9's feeling, too. Okay. Right, if there's not any more, it's time for some shout-outs. 
Right, shout out to iTunes reviewers. So people, if you like the show and you listen on and you have an iTunes account, please feel free to go and leave us a review. Give us as many stars as you think we're worth. But we, we've got a pretty good record and we wouldn't like you to spoil that. So five cats, five stars if you can. But thank you to Russell Bowman, Are You Man, who left a review on Lave Radio and Escape Velocity, Stevie666 and Birdoid. Quick shout out to some of the guys who've been chatting in the Mixlr channel tonight. Darren Hill, Ian Honcharenko, MDN, Jintos, Zombie Steve, Sneevis, and Titus Balls. And a big welcome to Tanja, who's listening for the first time. Uh, hopefully he's not his last. Oh, hello to Commander Gal Midden Goose 429 uh, who have I've to be fair I've seen him outside Lave Station for the last couple of weeks so thank you for coming and stalking me um, and Scarsbo Sneevis I got to give a shout out to Michael Brooks we discussed him earlier he's just released his new book Sun Dragon brief synopsis first manned mission to Mars begins the longest and most dangerous journey ever undertaken by humankind from hundreds of potential candidates six astronauts from countries around the world are selected to crew the historic mission. Led by Commander Samantha Collins, they must travel across the gulf of interplanetary space over 150 million miles from home and help. Their mission is to investigate alien life, but what they discover is far beyond what anyone had ever imagined. Dun, dun, dun. And talking about him writing books at a rate of knots, he also has The Last True Demon, the third path book, coming out on the Kindle, and it's on pre-order. I think it comes out on the 1st of February, I think it is. Okay. And a shout-out to Commander Roots, who put together third-party Root Planner. I don't know if any of you have seen this, but obviously people have been uh, a little bit dissatisfied with the current route planning in-game. There's a third-party tool out there by Peter Peterman. I really hope that's your real name as well. That's awesome. I don't know whether it will become redundant when Frontier add in their new one... I think they've said a thousand-year light-year planner coming in 1.1. And maybe you'll improve it even more. So uh, that's going to be great. So if anybody doesn't have anything else to say, I think I'll wrap up the show if that's okay. So that's it for another episode of Lave Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us info at laveradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash laveradio. Or you can find us on Twitter at laveradio. You can join the Skype chat channel by adding Fozza101 to your Skype contacts and he will add you to the channel. Finally, if you would like to live chat, you can jump into the Lave Radio TeamSpeak channel, laveradio.teamspeak3.com. Thanks to me, Ben, Grant and Chris Jarvis. Thanks to all the commanders that have been listening uh, and those that have joined us outside Lave Station. Until next time, fly safe. And if you can't do that, fly dangerous.